Hello, Legionnaires, and welcome to episode 167 of RPG Digest. I am John Maxley-Oshlo, favorite curmudgeon, critic, and judge. Along with me, as usual, is the human medical experiment. Right. Heathen Dog Grissomer. How are you today, sir? Hello, everyone. I'm, I'm bad. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you for asking. Uh, for everyone who doesn't know, uh, I traveled uh, in between uh, Christmas and New Year. And uh, when I got back, me, my wife, my son, and my mother... All got the beautiful influenza A. Ooh, I'm telling you right now, it's the filet mignon of influenza. <laughs> it just keeps going. It's been almost a week now. It, I'm I'm still in it. So uh, wow, my yep. supervisor at work got both A and B. Wow, the STD oh, oh, of flu. Yeah, That's great. Over Christmas, apparently, eighty percent of the of people in my office were out either with the flu or recovering from the flu. I have wow. not got it yet. <laughs> Knock on everything organic. Everything yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, and I had to go to the post office and uh, twice. And so, you know, I'm like, well, I'm going to get it now, but I didn't. Thank God. <laughs> I don't know. What's... But uh, yeah, I'm waiting for my turn. You know, what usually happens with me is I miss it the first pass. But like when I work for DISA in Illinois, the first pass would miss me. I'd be like, ha ha. And then because the way it worked, it'd go up and down the office. And as soon as it hit the end, it'd go right back to the beginning. And then it wouldn't miss me. And I'd get it like twice as bad as everybody else. Like, since we passed you the first time. <laughs> I saved your portion. Yeah, you right. Exactly. Helpings. So, uh, well, so yeah, Heathen Dog said he's going to try to power through this best he can. If he passes out on screen, we'll, we'll set up a GoFundMe for my condolences. Not for him. Uh, his wife makes enough money. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> uh, and I'm sure he's got insurance, so who cares? I do. Uh, <laughs> so, anything else interesting other than how's your vacation? Vacation was great. Uh, we went to Texas, just outside Dallas. Uh, we went to the Ross Perot Museum, which I was disappointed. I thought it was going to be about Ross Perot. At first, I was like, "What do I want to go to a Ross Perot Museum?" <laughs> I don't care about Ross Perot. And then I thought, so like, you got I two don't <laughs> exactly. I don't know a whole lot about Ross Perot, except for that. He ran for president and he, he owned EDS, all that stuff. I'm like, you know what? Okay. I'd like to learn a little bit. It wasn't about Ross Perot. He bought the museum, but it's a normal natural history museum. I'm like, Oh, I was a little disappointed at that. I was like, Oh man, that sucks. But it was a good museum. So that was nice. And we went to the, uh, Texas Zufari where uh, you, you drive on to the thing and all the animals come to the car. They had all mm -hmm. kinds of animals, llamas, emu, deer, uh, African deer with those really, really pointy screw you horns that kind of like twist and stuff. Like antelopes? No. Oh. No. <laughs> okay. it's, it's weird. It's weird. But yeah, they had like 33 different kind of animals, warthogs, bison, camels, one hump, two hump, got them both. You know, so it was actually kind of fun until that damn zebra tried to steal my food bucket everyone's <laughs> like just let them have it no bitch it's my bucket i fought him for that bucket for a good 30 seconds i'm tell you right now i'm a winner i kept that bucket sure i lost half the food in it but he didn't get the damn bucket now there's right. a zebra with your name there, there, there's a video of of the fight i don't know if <laughs> my wife has it on her phone but it was it was it was pretty fun i'm, I'm pretty happy about that. how much can i buy that for? <laughs> <laughs> and uh well and uh, we, we we flew uh first class well american first class is just business class but flew uh business class both ways so we were able to have the uh the Do they change first class for domestic because domestic first class is normally just a wider seat and some peanuts that's it 
I've flown first class a ton of times. It's nothing with business class overs because I fly overseas a lot. Yeah. Business class overseas, I love. I don't even need first class overseas. I love the business class. Lay oh, down. Yeah. I got a bed. I have my own TV, et cetera, et cetera. But first class for domestic is oh, usually yeah, just- for, for domestic U.S. flights, first class is, is basically bullshit. The only reason yeah. I get it is for the lounge access. Uh, yeah. That, uh, yeah. Yeah. Same here. That's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. But, you know, the, the seats were wider. Legroom was a lot more. And we yeah. got, we got, a, we everyone else got a, got a shitty, uh, snack box meal whereas we got a full full you know three course meal with metal utensils and everything so it was nice but uh yeah, yeah I've, I've always been let down well with because because i just find business international business class is so much better than domestic first class i'm like just why do you even call this first class but whatever <laughs> yeah i mean it it almost behooves you to uh to fly to canada and then to somewhere else in the united states <laughs> just so you can actually get a good experience Hold on a second. I have a cat that's trying to break a barrier. Hey, go away. Um, yeah, the, the, well, I looked at uh, modern first class now for uh, for international flights. It's like a desk. It's like an office space. You close it. Yeah. A desk, a bed. It's a cubicle. Yeah. I, I was like, what the hell? Like, I don't need all that. I just, for me, because it's just like movie theaters. I have to sit on an aisle seat in movie theaters. I can't be cramped in. Just, I can't. So, uh I get business class so that I can stretch out and I can lay down because any flight that's four hours or more, I have to have, I have to be able to lay down or stretch or, or whatever. I, you know, for a two hour flight, I can, I can do the whole stuck in a cardboard box, but not, not for long ones. Fuck that. Mm -hmm. I mean, forget that. Uh, all right. So, uh, I'm trying to think if I did anything, uh, I just did. Honestly, I didn't even catch up on all this stuff. Now I did catch up on a lot of things because we weren't streaming uh so i didn't have to do research <laughs> like i'd research other stuff i still have not done legion at taxes and i still have not done um our youtube channel trailer <laughs> for 2024 so i'll get to that i mean it's not that important but uh those are the two things i still have not done for legion of myth we're in the middle of the uh 5,000 subscriber giveaway i don't know if you noticed but like we made a ton of subscribers not even doing videos <laughs> wow that's uh, great. Well, I, there's been a lot of uh, chatter on Discord about, oh, I, I found these videos and I'm just watching them all. I'm watching the whole playlist. I'm like, that's awesome. Yeah, the, the Palladium stuff has taken a huge bump. Uh, and we'll see how it goes in the next week or two, because I, I'm sure you know. And if you don't, I'll put it out to the folks out there. Uh, present, share. Uh, nope, that's not it. What am I sharing? Oh, that's what I'm sharing. We got a, a shout out from another one. Yeah, I heard from. from uh, from Palladium Books. So, uh, oops. I hate how when I zoom in, it scrolls up. It should just stay where I am. But there we go. Legion of Myth and Litter Glitter Boys got uh, uh, got shout outs. So that's pretty cool. So, congratulations, wait, wait, Glitter Boys, for getting glitter a shout boys, out. That's Glitter Bois? What? Isn't it's, that French? No. Well, oh. just, just leave. It's Glitter Boys. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, but, but good on them for getting a shout out as well. I know a lot of people who are on our Discord also uh, listen to the Glitter Boys. It's more of a podcast than video, but, you know, mm -hmm. similar good. to what we do. That's good. So, uh, there we go. And Kevin Sean said that they're going to be on more shows plus starting to use their own YouTube channel more. So, if you're not subscribed to uh, the Palladium YouTube channel, check that out. But, yeah, so th thank you for the shout out there. Uh, he also got me a Palladium Books Megaversal Ambassador shirt. Ambassador. Thank you. I'm wearing yeah. it today for my Aliens Unlimited segment. <laughs> got that my christmas package so nice. uh, i don't know if you saw that last christmas package well the second christmas package i got they loaded me up dude 
<laughs> I was oh like, God, I, I got loaded too this time. Did you? Holy shit. It was, I got like, I got like uh, 13 books and a whole Holy bunch shit. of maps. Yeah. Wow. Whole wow. bunch of maps. Like That's all cool. the, you know, the cool, you know, uh, glossy, you know, all in uh, plastic protectors and everything. You'll have to show some of those off because I avoid those things because I don't know how good they are if I really need them. But if they're worth it, I might check that out as well. Yeah. But oh, uh, man, I don't have them in here. Damn it. That's cool. You can do it next week. We got plenty of time. We'll be covering okay. Palladium this year quite a bit. Okay. I mean, hell, at least the first three. So, I mean, today's Aliens Unlimited for me. It's, uh, next week is the Galaxy Guide, which will actually have more meat to it. And then I'm going to start a, a, a small series as long as it doesn't torture me to death, because right now it's torturing me to death on how to do Palladium combat. And, and here's why it's torturing me for the people who are watching the live stream, because this won't go to the video. It's because I'm trying to do it rules as written. Everybody who's played Palladium is laughing their asses off. Yeah, right now. laughing their ass off right now because rules as written is is the is the uh, Constantine wire crawling overtime of actually playing Palladium. And you get yeah, to just say there are thoughts on some of the. Uh, if you watch the Friday night stream, you'll see uh, talked about some of the things that I ran into while doing this because i want to show up it's like when i did that coriolis one remember it's like okay i gotta have somebody throwing a grenade gotta have somebody shooting a gun gotta have somebody punching somebody gotta have somebody killed gotta have somebody knocked out blah 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 i want to make sure that i'm hitting the gamut of things that you can do right well wrestling and simultaneous attacks that's all i'm gonna say all right and game with game with adhd says combat who wants to wrestle Eh." well he was there i I saw you were on there friday i saw you were so you know you know the thing is, is, you know, people say nobody wrestles in games like uh, in Palladium. They do. And there's two reasons for that. One, you take a skill specifically called wrestling. People want to use it. Hmm. It's not like the combat for AD&D where it's like it's just kind of an afterthought. Like, oh, I want to grab him. Well, let me roll on the chart and see. Oh, you did a haymaker. But I said I was going to grab him. <laughs> you know, uh, it, it isn't like that. Uh, it, it actually is a skill that you get and people want to use those abilities. And how they're written leaves things open to interpretation. And without diving into it now, I'm just going to say this. That is both a strength and a weakness. Anybody who says that that's, that's bad, no, it is absolutely a strength for a game master. It is a weakness when you're trying to have the definitive how to do combat guide in a video. <laughs> so, uh, but we'll, uh, we'll check that out, uh, like I said, in a couple of weeks. So, um, yeah, what else? Uh, so, uh, like I said, uh, we have the Here Have, I think I said this, if not, we have the Here Have Max's Crap giveaway going on right now. I've already given out the first set of prizes. I'm going to mail out the second set of prizes, hopefully tomorrow. We'll see. I've got I've got some business things going on tomorrow and, and Tuesday where that may get in the way. Um, I'm also supposed to have a game, the, the Rifts game, tomorrow or um, or Tuesday. But again, with the with the business stuff that I have going on at work, we'll see. I'm also in going to be in a Palladium Fantasy game, so Rifts and Palladium Fantasy. I'm playing all the games that I don't I, I don't get involved. In. <laughs> no, I, I've done Palladium Fantasy before, but actually, you were in the in that game. Yeah. Um, but uh, yes, and then we'll see how that is. That's going to be with uh, Bear the Gen X GM. He's uh, running that, and it should be fun. And then finally, the only other announcement I have for the fine folks out there before I say thank you to everyone is uh, got to show it off. Heathen Dog's already commented on it. Yeah, we have a brand. <laughs> G.I. Joe. <laughs> I mean, Legion of Myth, real American heroes. Legion of Myth no, is there. Real internet heroes. Oh, Come real internet. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> I could write a whole song on that. <laughs> yes, you could. Uh, 
all right so i guess uh the only other thing of note is that uh, we're swapping things up this year yep i'm gonna go first this time Eden Dog's going first and doing the deep dives up until enough people complain that he's not doing Palladium stuff. And then, uh, and he's going to at least start with, uh, uh, what's called Cthulhu. And then probably a month and a half, two months well, from I, now. I you... wanted Mongoose Traveler second edition, but I wanted to get the 2022 updated. I'll get you the I book. Can't find it without, without you... buying it. I, I can't, I can't find it without buying it. I've been looking for a month and I'll, I, I'll... I can't find it without buying it full price. Yeah, I'll get it. I'll, I'll put it, I'll put it as a business expense. Because we want to do it right. Okay. No. Uh, unless, again, so many people complain, hint, 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 about Heathen Dog not doing the overview. <laughs> he just says, fine, I won't do it. No, he's going to be doing Call of Cthulhu and then, then Mongoose Traveler 2nd Edition. In the meantime, I'm taking over the overviews. Not my forte, but we'll find out uh, You know, if today's go well, ne- next week goes well. And then I'm going to do a few how-tos on various combat, like I said, for, for play. And then we'll, we'll figure it out from there, see if we keep doing it this way. Or we swap back or whatever. That on the screen. Read my script. That's right. This is scripted. I have no actual thanks in my heart. I had to, you know, script it out to pretend like I care. So thank you to all you wonderful people who support us monetarily. Your gracious donations help us provide giveaways, produce more content, and generally give back Legion Myth community as a whole. That's right. As many of you know, we have the here have max's crap giveaway as well as some gift cards for international viewers we have giveaways on the friday night stream for to our members super chatters and rumble ranters by the way rumble is continuing on and i do see violence tells everything over there uh, uh on the rumble side uh rumble is continuing to do the 100 of the rumble rants go to the creators that was supposed to end at the end of 2023, but they are continuing it on. So if you're watching on Rumble, or if there's even another channel you oddly like over there on Rumble, remember, creators get keep 100% of your donation instead of the 70% on uh, it's just YouTube or the 50%. No, it's not even that anymore. It's like 45% on Twitch. Jesus. But yeah, I know, right? So uh, it's your support of us and our community that allows all that to happen. So thank you very much. And check the description below for links to the various Legionist sites social media, Discord, merch, etc. Including, you can get shirts and hat. Don't get the hat. Do not get the hat. But you can get the shirt and coffee cups. I don't have mine here. Uh, with the new brand on it. All right. Let's get Heathen Dog all prepared up here. And uh, mm-hmm. whenever you're ready, go ahead. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Heathen Dog's first deep dive, and I'm going to do it with Call of Cthulhu 7th Edition. Now, today, we're going to start out with all of the flavor. We're going to start off with the introduction. We're going to go into the background. We're going to go into some sanity so we can set the stage because this game is thematic, if anything else. We're going to set the stage before we get into the actual gameplay mechanics and whatnot. So prepare yourself to get scared to death. The best tabletop RPG groups follow these core values to respect the campaign setting, the game, and the people at the table. Refer to the URL in the video's description to donate to the charity we support, The Wounded Warrior Project. Sunday on Rumble and YouTube, we provide tabletop RPG game, system, and setting overviews. Then on Friday, a panel of guests editorialize on the TTRPG hobby as a whole. Thursdays and Saturdays are when Heathen Dog leads his Dirty Casuals video game squad on twitch.tv slash Legion of Myth. 
Please like and share this video with your friends and on social media, and subscribe to Legion of Myth for more tabletop RPG content. Heathen Dog loves that <laughs> these yeah, new that, these new yeah, videos. <laughs> love it to death. All right, let's. Uh, did you know? Did you notice I changed um, changed your design up there? I did. I saw. It was good. All right, so <laughs> looking at Call of Cthulhu, and we are going to the ah! introduction. What oh, happened? I was scared. Going to the introduction. You told me to be scared. I was. You were scared. Be scared now. Here it is. It's actually, I like that layout. It's nice. It's nice. creepy. It very, very much so. But we are going to uh, go to the welcome to Call of Cthulhu. Maybe. <laughs> Hello. Do I have full control? There we go. All right. Call of Cthulhu is a game full of secrets, mysteries, and horror. Playing the role of a steadfast investigator. Uh, you don't have to be a steadfast investigator. You could be, <laughs> oh my God, oh my God, we're all going to die investigator, and it's just as fun. You will travel to strange and dangerous places, uncover foul plots, and stand against the terrors of the night. You will encounter sanity-blasting entities, monsters, and insane cultists. With strange and forgotten tomes of lore, you will find secrets that man was not meant to know. You and your companions may very well decide the fate of the world. Call of Cthulhu is a horror-themed role-playing game based on the writings of Howard Philip. Wow. Wow. I've Howard never Philip actually seen Lovecraft. his name spelled out like that before. Yeah. Lovecraft penned a tremendous body of work during the 1920s and 1930s. Oh, and as a side note, if you have the Kindle app or you have a Kindle, you can get uh, all of his works for free. Free oh, nice. download. Uh, I, th I think the, they have a bundle that's really easy to get. You can get 30 books, 30 or 40 books. Uh, most of them, most of his works are short stories, so they're not that long to read, but they are really, really impressively weird. So do that. Uh, following his death in 1937, Lovecraft's stories of cosmic horror have grown in reputation and stature. And for no small part, the fact that anyone that came up to him while he was alive and said, hey, can I write a story based on your world? He said yes. He had a relationship with uh, Howard and um, who else? Uh, Ari, Ari Howard and um, the dude who wrote uh, Conan. Because uh, the Cthulhu mythos was uh, was in there. I forget there's somebody else too, and I, I forget who it is. But uh, people come up to him, hey, can I write a story about your world? Sure. Go for it, man. So he didn't copyright anything. He didn't, uh, he didn't trademark anything. He let anyone do it if they wanted to do it. And it was a smart move, maybe not for money, but it was a smart move for longevity and history. Lovecraft's stories, a cosmic horror of groaning reputation and stature. And today he is recognized as a major American horror story writer of the 20th century, influencing numerous authors and film directors and amassing a huge following of devoted fans. Indeed, Lovecraft himself could now be considered a cult figure in his own right. Lovecraft's fiction ranges from science fiction to gothic horror and to into the nihilistic cosmic terror. Perfect material in which to base a role-playing game. All right. I wanted to get that little background there. Now we're going to do the overview of the game. Now we have a little overview of Lovecraft, overview of the game. The aim of playing Call of Cthulhu is to have fun with your friends as you explore and create a Lovecraftian story. <laughs> one, one player takes the role of game moderator, known as Keeper of the Arcane Lore, or Keeper for short. 
and his or her role within the rules is to run the game for the rest of the players. The rest of the players take the part of intrepid investigators of the unknown, or investigators, attempting to seek out, understand, and eventually confront the horrors, mysteries, and secrets of the Cthulhu mythos. Now, that last sentence is very telling. It says confront, not defeat, not win, not survive. You're there, you're there like, a, what? <laughs> not even stay sane. Not even, though. No, it's definitely not stay sane. It's uh, uh, Stephen King's The Stand. Several people were sent to the bad guy, Randall Flagg, to stand, to confront him. They were never going to live. It was their job to confront the evil, and then it was God's job to win. That's basically what this is, too. The keeper picks a story to run. These stories are known as scenarios. And you will find two at the back of this book. I like it when books have uh, have at least one example, adventure, or scenario. So just so you could especially you could if it's a them. short convention yeah. style one. Exactly. Oh, you, know you know, something something this. you could run to, you know, knock the cobwebs out of everyone's noses, you know, whatever. A scenario provides the keeper with the structure of a story for him or her to present to the players. The keeper's role is a little like that of a director making a film in which the actors don't know how the story will develop. The extent, the, to extend the analogy, the players are like actors who have the freedom to improvise their own scripts. That's funny. That's like my definition of role-playing that gets all the grognards yes. angry with me. I, yes, I've always said but, for many years, role-playing is acting without a script. Exactly. Now, the grognards can't get mad about, about you playing Cthulhu this way because it's literally how it's supposed to be played. So my question for this is, would you say that a Call of Cthulhu session slash game slash adventure, whatever, is a bit more railroady than, say, uh, a, a, a typical D&D type game or a typical uh, science fiction type game? As an example, I would say that if you're running Star Trek because you're getting missions, it's going to be a bit more railroady. Yes. How you handle the missions is one thing, but you got Starfleet, blah, blah, blah. D&D, &D, you're yes. just kind of off on your own devices, and you can be very sandboxy with it. Would you say Call of Cthulhu is more railroady, not in the negative way, but just generally in that regard? Because it's like you kind of have a specific mission you're on? Yes, yes. You, you, have, you have a specific task you must complete. Now, the way you complete it is up to the players, or investigators in this case. It's up to the investigators, but it's got to be done, or the world goes to hell in a handbasket. One quick more interruption. I apologize, but we got $20 on Rumble from Patriotic Assault. So thank you very much. I can't put it on the screen, so I'm just going to say it here. Thank you very much. The investigators need not be anything at all like the people who play them. You, in fact, you shouldn't. Indeed, it is often more rewarding and enjoyable for players to create characters entirely unlike themselves. Tough private eyes, rude taxi drivers, or <laughs> sinistly genteel occultists. Wow. Yeah. Most of the play is a verbal exchange. The keeper sets the scene describing the environment, the individuals, and the encounters to the players. This is going to be uh, a something you're going to look back to when we talk about actual gameplay mechanics. Okay. This whole game is going to is if if I'm if I'm not wrong, it's going to be set up to where roles should be rare, they should be special, everything else should be verbal. Everything else should be explaining what you're doing, explaining what happens and the idea what your investigator is looking for. And then a roll should be made. Stuff like that. Uh, the players tell the keeper what they intend to do. Uh, the keeper then tells them whether they can do it. And if not, what happens instead? In play, the game takes the form of a group of conversation with many twists and turns and fun along the way. Uh, 
The game rules use dice to determine if an action succeeds or fails when a dramatic conflict presents itself. Again, very telling. Only when necessary. Mm -hmm. For example, when your investigator is able to leap out of the way of a giant statue that's about to crash down upon their heads, the rule describes how to decide the outcome of such conflicts. So In do I need to roll dice to tie my shoes? No, you do not. And I anyone who asks you to roll, anyone who asks you that, or any any keeper that asks you to roll to tie your shoes, you should take your shit, walk away. Because he's not playing Call the Call the Cthulhu, he's playing something else. In this game, the keeper has the responsibility of preparing scenarios and running the game without bias. It is the keeper's duty to make the investigator's opposition smart and mean. Here's the thing. The keeper's sole job, any game master's sole job, really, is to run the game as an impartial referee. You are in control of everything in the world except the investigators, but you are not padding anything. You're not helping your NPCs, you're not hurting your NPCs. You're not helping the investigators. You're not hurting the investigators. It's up to the investigators to win or lose. And it's up to you to only make sure they, they can have their shot. That's it. Whether it goes in or whether it airballs, that's up to them. If they get there, they get there. Don't be pissed. If you don't, don't be pissed. Cooperation and competition. Gaming is a social pastime. Oh my God. It, you mean it's not therapy? If you want to use your imagination alone, you should simply read a book. However, be warned, when a number of people get together cooperatively, they build a communal fantasy far more interesting and imaginative than a single person can. And the, and the joint effort results in an extremely fun and satisfying experience for all involved. Together, you create and develop a story in which each of your investigators plays a leading role. This is funny. So... I've heard a lot of, um, in the but last year or two, I've heard a lot of knocking on Chaosium. I don't know the date of this book, but so far, because even I'm getting kind of skeptical of Chaosium and its recent trends and, and so forth, but what I'm hearing here, I, I wouldn't necessarily say 100%, but we'll go 99%. I'm in agreement with. Yeah, this, this, is, all, this is all looking like a good time so far. Yeah. Whether or not the investigators cooperate, the players should. Investigators may be played as nice people, as devious brutes, or however the players wish. Most of the entertainment of the game can be found in the ingenuity of players' role-playing and in-character conversations, as well as unforeseeably scary or amusing directions the story will take. So, we're right now, we're getting a lot of direction, both for Keeper and Investigator, on how they should go about playing the game. And so far, the Keeper has been told to be impartial. Mm -hmm. Not It's not the same as fair. Fair is for suckers and, and fairy tales, okay? Impartial is your job. And as for players, whether or not their investigators get along, whether or not their investigators are good at working together or not, the players should plan together. The players should be on the same team. This is an important distinction, and a lot of a, a lot of people have a problem with it. Well, my my character wouldn't like him at all. There's no reason that I, I should be with him. Yes, there is. You both made the character. You both agreed to play in the same game. So the, as players, you have to figure out how to get along enough to complete the story or scenario. Yeah, That's I, I don't job understand that. Like, like, 
No, no, no. I, I agree with what you're saying, but I'm saying oh. I don't understand. And it's weird because I remember being that player back in high school. So, you know, early 90s, late, well, late yeah. 80s for high school, but and even early 90s where I would make the character, whether lone wolf or not get along or whatever. I truthfully don't understand what was going through my brain at that point. And I think that everybody has that phase at some yes. point, but it's, this it's is the not the same. game for it. No, no, this is not. A, it's it's the same as everyone goes through a phase of making yourself as a character. You know, everyone goes through that phase, too. As sooner or later, you're going to do it. It's something you do. You get it out of your system and you don't go back. But to play this game correctly, you have to understand that you are not the same as your character. Your character is an investigator. You are a player. As players, you're on the same team. You have to be on the same team. You plan together. You figure out how your investigators can work together, even if it seems like they can't. It's your job to figure it out. So figure it out. Working cooperatively together, the players and keeper build an enjoyable and understandable world in which to play. The rewards of cooperation are great. Remember, the object of all of this is to have fun. Just because you made a character that is, I am Lobo, I hunt alone, I need no one, that you have to figure out as a player how Lobo is going to not hunt alone and need everyone. You have to, you have to make that happen. If it's that much of a process, it, make a new character. Yeah, yeah. The best way to do it is to not make Lobo, okay? Don't do that. Make, make you know, uh, a, a social butterfly character that also happens to love beating people with a baseball bat. That's great. You know why? There's one caveat I have to that, but you can tell me if this doesn't work in, in Call of Cthulhu because of all the sanity loss and so forth. You can start off with a character that wants to be a lone wolf, but grows into somebody yes. who... And as a player, that's excellent. That's an excellent point. I missed it. You caught it. Good job. You can start off as one thing and then through gameplay, your investigator, oh my God, grows as a person. <gasps> and so his attitudes can change over a vast or minuscule amount of time, depending on the situations that arise. That's normal life, man. That's easily explainable. No one's going to cry foul on you. That's a, excuse me, that's a way to go. Winners and losers. Oh, this is this is mine right here. This is it. <laughs> in Call of Cthulhu, there are no winners oh. <laughs> and losers in the standard competitive sense. Play is usually cooperative. The participants work together to attain a common goal, usually to discover and foil some nefarious plot being perpetrated by the minions of some dark cult or secret society. The opposition that the investigators face will often be an alien or hostile situation controlled by an impartial keeper not another player winning in such situations. Whoa, what? Oh, I went through winning in such situations depends on whether the investigators succeed in their goal. Losing is what happens if they fail to achieve their goal and may be able to try again. Okay. Thank you for that later. During the game, investigators may become injured, suffer sanity shattering experiences, or Ooh. even die. However, someone has to make a stand against the cosmic horrors of the universe and the death of a single investigator matters little if it means repulsing Cthulhu's master plan to enslave the Earth. Investigators who survive will gain power from arcane volumes of forgotten lore, knowledge of horrendous monsters, and advancement in their skills as they become more experienced. Thus, that's a gotcha. No, no, that's a gotcha. You know that's a gotcha because it's like, oh, you can win. No, you cannot. No, you cannot. Okay, all right. Me. Hang on. Hang on. We're not there yet. 
And this is seventh edition. I lit. This is the first time I'm reading these words. I have not read anything of this book. What edition do you play mostly, or what editions do you play mostly? Fifth. Okay. Thus, the players' investigators will continue to progress until their demise or retirement, whichever comes first. All right. Now we're not going to do an example of play right now. We're going to we're going to go to chapter two. Is this a good breakpoint or yeah, this is a good breakpoint. Go ahead. So we we could we can like is this gonna be is this gonna be new information for a new video? Yes. Okay. So uh, let's actually I got a couple comments starred here. Only a couple. Uh, Biokido asks, uh, Call of Cthulhu seems a bad game. Like, no matter what, you know, it's always going to be another Cthulhu. Well, okay. And you know what? I can understand if you're in the mindset of winners and losers, this is a bad game for you. If you can slip away from that mindset, I recommend reading, uh, 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 Paranoia second edition. (laughs) That game is made for you to die constantly. You even get it's clones. Part of the game. It's it's actually part of the fun. If you can get behind, it's it's a comedy game, but you die a lot and a bit more backstabby. Yeah, and a lot. Of, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you if you can get behind the idea that your character is not as important as the group. That's the rub. As long as you can get your mindset that my character is only a cog in this player machine and it we win if the machine survives and beats the, you know, the scenario, defeats the cultist, defeats the 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 shadow beast, defeats all this. Then you can say I'm a winner. Even if you died and had to make a new character. You still won because you're part of the machine. And then Baldahar says, uh, this is Max. He probably should be required to roll to tie his shoes. Have you seen his shoes? They're all Velcro. I only have one pair of Velcro shoes, and they still come with laces also. They're high tops. They Velcro on top, and they lace on the bottom. Okay. I have my wife tie them for me. (laughs) Uh, He likes you, Baldahar. Just saying. All right. right, With that, okay, well, uh, that's going to be the end of this episode uh what are you going to talk about in the next one right here uh chapter two is uh the is lovecraft and his mythos now we're going to talk about what all most of these scenarios are going to be about and where the ideas for these monsters and enemies came from they all came from his literary works we're going to touch on that there's probably i haven't read it like i said there's probably going to be a list of reading to to, to give to keepers and players so they can become more familiar with the kinds of things that they're going to come across or be up against. So that's what we're going to talk about next time in chapter two. All right. Let's prepare you again. All right, hang on. Uh, you got to give me a minute. Uh, you yep. you want to throw a commercial in there? A commercial? <laughs> okay. Throw, I will throw, throw, throw a, com- a commercial up. I'll throw a commercial in there. All right. Throw a commercial up. Find one. There you go. Welcome to Palladium Megaverse fans on Gilded, the ultimate destination for all Palladium books enthusiasts. Journey through the thrilling landscapes of rifts, create your own comic book stories in Heroes Unlimited, and experience every spellbinding adventure in between. Dive into deep discussions about rules, lore, and strategies with a community that shares your passion. 
Whether you're showcasing your latest artwork, fleshing out a new character design, or brainstorming homebrew ideas, our server is a treasure trove of creativity and inspiration. Enhance your gaming with our collection of tips, tricks, and invaluable resources. Click the link in the description and join Palladium Megaverse fans now. Embark on an adventure where imagination knows no bounds. Yeah, that's actually cool that it plays over the graphic image. I got to remember that for the future. I can actually make a little graphic so the, the commercial looks a little more natural. That was a very large volume increase at the end. There was no stepping on that. I, that, that was intentional. That was intentional. Okay. All right, good. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Call of Cthulhu 7th edition. In our read through today, we're going to talk about H.P. Lovecraft and his mythos because it is obviously central to all of the adversaries you're going to be playing in this game. So, again, gird yourself, grab your loins, <laughs> prepare to be scared. We welcome all people, regardless of background, belief, or identity, to play tabletop role-playing games. Let's engage our imaginations, pull a veil over reality, and immerse ourselves in fantastic worlds. Don't be a disruption at the table and always remember, it's just a game. The charity we support is the Wounded Warrior Project, a national, nonpartisan organization whose mission is to honor and empower wounded warriors. Please refer to the description below for the link to where you can make your hopefully tax-deductible donation. Join us Thursday and Saturday evenings on twitch.tv slash Legion of Myth to watch Heathen Dog and his team of dirty casuals play multiplayer games for your mockery and enjoyment. Here on our YouTube channel, you can watch these game-related segments live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Central Time, or check out the Friday Night Stream where our panel of guests opine, comment, and editorialize on the TTRPG hobby as a whole. Please leave us a comment with your thoughts and experiences. If you enjoy our gaming content, please be sure to subscribe to Legion of Myth. Hey, there's no more subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. No more of that. Okay, so we're going to talk about the Cthulhu Mythos in particular because it is a, it is relevant to this game. In it's the entirety of the game, right? The entirety of the game is about this. So let's go ahead and do that. So we're going to got a little paragraph on HP Lovecraft here. Oops. Nope, I said do that. There you go. And we scroll this way. And this is why I do it in the browser and not in a... Oh, you're doing the browser too, aren't you? Yeah. In a 46-year lifetime, H.P. Lovecraft, or H.P.L., I'm not, I'm not doing that, wrote or collaborated on more than 65 stories, penned dozens of articles and essays, hundreds of poems, and wrote perhaps as many 100,000 letters. Despite Jeez. never finding critical and commercial success in his lifetime, Lovecraft's legacy and contribution to modern horror storytelling cannot be overstated. His works now reach millions around the world, and his creations, particularly Cthulhu and the Necronomicon, have become well-known horror icons for a legion of devoted fans. Today, Lovecraft is recognized as making a significant contribution to American literature and... Uh, as being one of the foremost horror writers of the 20th century, his life and the creation of the mythos. Although chronic nervous disorders prevented Lovecraft from regular attendance at school, he was a precocious child and an avid reader. As his father was institutionalized when Lovecraft, okay, now you know where it all comes from, right? I mean, I'm not even done with this first damn paragraph. I'm like, his life was a, was a mythos game, all right? 
This is not this is not a good start. Not not a no. Wow. <clears throat> when he was three, he and his mother moved to the house owned by his maternal grandfather. In it was a library of Grandfather Whipple that Lovecraft first discovered the Arabian Nights, the myths of Greek and Rome, and Edgar Allan Poe. He wrote his, <laughs> okay. he wrote his first story, The Little Glass Bottle, at the age of six, about the time he had his first dreams about the terrible faceless night gaunts. <laughs> Throughout his life, he had vivid dreams. Oh, my God. I feel bad for this guy. It was also through this library that Lovecraft developed a taste for Gregorian thought Georgian, Georgian thought. Thank you. Wow. And literature that would remain with him throughout his life. Lovecraft, who would later describe himself as a mechanist materialist, was also attracted to the sciences. In 1899, he began publishing a small journal called the Scientific Gazette, followed shortly thereafter by the Rhode Island Journal of Astronomy. These small hectograph publications were sold door to door by a bicycle mounted H.P. Lovecraft. At age 13, Lovecraft's beloved grandfather died. Uh -huh. His father had already passed away, succumbing to his illness, to his illness in 18... 18- <laughs> no, Succumbing to the, to the way that, what were they called? Mental asylums were yeah. back in the late 1800s. That's what it really Still was. confined to Butler Hospital. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hospitals back then were not only notoriously bully, bullyish, but uh, they also didn't care about the health of their inmates. So he died of whatever thing was going around the time. A series of business failures had depleted the Whipple family fortune, forcing Lovecraft's mother and aunts to sell the family home and move to a smaller quarters. This was a great blow to Lovecraft. It would be a great blow to anyone, especially someone as uh, mentally unstable as him. Another attack of nerves led to his withdrawal from high school in 1905 and again in 1908. Lovecraft, two and a half years short of graduation, never returned. Lovecraft never held a job supporting himself on the dwindling family fortune and by what little he could earn as a ghostwriter and revisionist. Always the aristocrat, he was throughout his life to remain torn between the professional writer's desire for success and money and the detached amateur... Whoa. Amateur uh, Now gentleman. he knows my pain. Yeah, I didn't know your pain now. Oh my God, what the, what the hell happened? I just want to go to the other side of here, but it won't let me go to the other side of here. There we go. <laughs> Gentlemen's desire to reach for aesthetic goals unfettered by commercial demands. That, that's, that's pretty much every real artist when they're first starting out. They know they have to eat, but they still will not compromise their ideals. 99% of those people die in a gutter, but he got lucky. He didn't. Well, okay, let's not say lucky, but here we go. Despite this, his first attempts to sell his fiction met with unqualified success with the editor of Weird Tales, Edwin Baird, accepting the first five stories sent to him by Lovecraft. His stories appeared in nine of 11 issues published between late 1923 and early 1925. When the editorship of Weird Tales passed to the hands of Farnsworth Wright, Lovecraft's fortunes changed. Oh. Wright, an able editor, possessed a blind spot regarding Lovecraft's work and how he often met with rejection than success. Stories now considered classics, such as The Call of Cthulhu, were only published after meeting repeated rejections from Weird Tales. His half-hearted attempts to provide, that, to provide what Wright demanded of commercial fiction were only partially successful. Wright rejected both At the Mountains of Madness and The Shadow Out of Time, now famous stories that were eventually printed by Astounding Tales. 
the superb the case of Charles Dexter Ward. I read that when I was really good. Didn't see publication till years after Lovecraft's death. Crushed by the repeated rejections, Lovecraft began refusing to submit his stories. Screw you guys. I'm taking the ball. I'm going home. And Dreams in the Witch House, also an amazing story, only saw print because a friend, August Derleth, secretly submitted it to Wright, urging him to accept it. Ironically, it was during this time that H.P. Lovecraft was doing the bulk of his professionally published revision work, much of it no less than actual ghostwriting. Lovecraft might provide a nearly complete text of a story based on a few root ideas supplied by the author. <laughs> Stories such as Zila Bishop's The Curse of Yig and Hazel Harold's Heels, heels, yeah. in the museum were in fact 90% or more the product of H.P. Lovecraft. While these stories were quickly accepted by Wright, Lovecraft's work under his own name continued to be rejected. Okay. Wow. Well, no, Wright is a douchebag. Now we know that for, for a fact. Because if 90 or more percent of, of this things that did not have his name were accepted and that he was writing set of everything that had his name on it was rejected writes the dick now yeah. we know now we know and like our logo says knowing is half the battle all right although he attracted a small core of avid fans many of them writers themselves he never achieved more than semi-regular publication in the pulp magazines of the day thank you <laughs> never as popular as writers like like seabury quinn lovecraft earned most of his meager income revising and rewriting the works of others even ghostwriting under the pyramids in 1924 for escape artist harry houdini it was through publication in amateur magazines and later in weird tales that lovecraft was come into the contact with other authors of the macabre tale lovecraft was a prodigious letter writer he regularly corresponded with other fiction writers, including Robert E. Howard, creator of Conan the Barbarian, Clark Ashton Smith, creator of Av Avergine and Zothique, okay, and Robert Block, later to write Psycho. H.P. Lovecraft's fictional works and histories were often discussed, as were the worlds created by Smith and other writers. It was not long before Smith and Lovecraft carried this sharing of ideas into their fiction, referring to each other's creations in their stories. It was Smith who gave birth to such deities as Sathuga. I'm never going to pronounce these right. So yeah. God one, God, or DD one, yeah. DD two, DD three. <laughs> Atlak Naka and Abnoth. Just saying Ab the name sounds demonic. Can we not do I know, that? I right? feel like it's something's... <laughs> exactly. I'm never going to get these right. Don't bother commenting. It's not going to happen. And who created the magical tome, The Book of Ebon? It was Smith's magical prehistoric hyperborea that Lovecraft frequently referred to in his tales. This idea was soon picked up by other authors. Robert E. Howard created the, the, the dreaded... <sighs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> this looks German. Not, it's German. Not doing it. Not doing that. Put it in Google Translate, it. see what comes up. <laughs> yeah, Google Translate this. And the mad poet Justin Joffrey author of The Terrible People of the Monolith. These were also incorporated into Lovecraft stories along with references to Howard's prehistoric chimera. Chimera, whatever. The young Robert Block provided the blasphemous books Divermis Mysterious, that's not right either, and the Cultes de Ghouls, as well as the interstellar and invisible star vampire that devoured a thinly disguised H.P. <laughs> Lovecraft in Block's Shambler from the Stars. 
Block's creations were quickly absorbed by Lovecraft, who also revenged his murder by dispatching protagonist Robert, Bla Robert Blake in The Haunter of the Dark in 1936. Apparently they they had a they had a literary war to kill each other. That's great. <laughs> Longtime friend Frank Frank Belknap Long brought to the collection both the Hounds of Tindalos and Chog Chognar Fawn, who appeared in The Horror in the Hills, a story of by Long based on one of Lovecraft's many vivid dreams. August Derleth added the most to the now-growing collection of great old ones and alien races. Continuing to write new Cthulhu mythos stories long after Lovecraft's death in 37, he created, among others, Chithuga, Chithuga, the, the uh, I don't know, Cho-Cho people, Ithaqua, and the Sand Dwellers. Based on a number of his tales in Lovecraft's fictional towns introduced such characters as uh, Durlis interpretations, his desire to create a pantheon of good gods based on Lovecraft's Nodens, and his attempt to define Cthulhu and Narlatep as elementals. None will deny this man's tireless efforts in keeping the words of Lovecraft in print and available to the public in the decades following H.P. Lovecraft's death by founding Arkham House Publishing. One, one of Durlet's favorite additions to the mythos was Haster, a great being supposedly trapped between the Lake of Holly near the city of Carcosa on a planet circling the star. Yeah, it, dude, it's going to get like this. You're going to you're going to have to understand it's it, this is this is how this works. Um, the star Aldebaran. That's most likely it. No, I saw yep. a shot. <laughs> OK, I cheated. Good luck sliding over. Yeah, that's fuck. It's, hey, hey, you say fudge. <laughs> yeah, I say what I want. Aldebaran. Although briefly mentioned by Lovecraft in Eerie Tales, these were actually the creations of Ambrose Bierce. 1842 circa to 1914. An American journalist and early exponent of the weird tale. Bierce was an early influence on H.P. Lovecraft, as were a number of other writers. His favorite author was always Edgar Allan Poe. Hey, you know, six years old. What are you going to do? Makes sense. And Poe's influence can clearly be seen in some of Lovecraft's first adult fiction, The Outsider in 1921, perhaps most closely emulates Poe's style and subject matter. Arthur Mackin, or Machen, uh, was another early influence. His story, The Great God Pan, is very similar in theme to Lovecraft's The Dunwich Horror. Robert W. Chambers also left his mark on Lovecraft, a mysterious play, The King in Yellow, figures in some of Chambers' stories and probably inspired Lovecraft to create the Necronomicon. The, uh, I'm not in, is the P silent? I, I would pronounce it silent, or yeah, I would not pronounce it. I'd be uh, necotic, but uh, I'm not correcting you on any of stuff because I know what it's like to read this shit on screen because I did it for a year, so. Yes, you did. And the outer, the other tomes of Eldritch lore for which his tales are famous. It was the chamber. It was Chambers who first borrowed from Bierce the Lake of Holly and Carcosa, perhaps inspiring Lovecraft to attempt transpositions. Lord Dunsany, hey, it's almost an English word. I know was probably Lovecraft's strongest contemporary influence. It was Dunsany's The Gods of Pagana that encouraged Lovecraft to write several dream-based stories and first provided him with the idea of an artificial pantheon of gods. Algernon Blackwood, another contemporary admirer, drew upon Native American legends for the version of the Wendigo later adapted into the mythos by August Derleth, which is 
They're called Ithaqua. Before Lovecraft's death, his circle of correspondence would include such recognizable names as Henry Kuttner, C.L. Moore, J. Vernon Shea, E. Hoffman Price, and Fritz Lieber. That's super German. Some of these letters are collected in five Arkham House volumes, while others are published by Necronomicon Press. Brown University in Lovecraft's hometown Providence, Rhode Island, maintains a cataloged Lovecraft collection with thousands more. It was not until late in Lovecraft's career, and then probably only at the urging of some of his younger correspondents, that he began to integrate into his later stories some of the creations found in his earliest tales. In The Shadow Over Innsmouth, 1931, we find the Deep One hybrids worshipping Dagon, a creature not mentioned since the story Dagon in 1917. Hmm. His, and, and The Shadow Over Innsmouth is an excellent, excellent short story. I recommend everyone read it. His second piece of adult fiction. Similarly, the fictional city of Arkham and its Miskatonic University first used as backdrops in The Picture in the House, 1920, Herbert West Reanimator, 1921-1922, are finally developed in his later stories, beginning with the Dunwich Horror and continuing through The Thing on the Doorstep. At the Mountains of Madness and The Shadow Out of Time contain detailed histories of pre-human Earth, describing the different alien beings that in the past visited and colonized the planet. Some of these races, such as the, the fungi from Yugoth and the Cthulhu spawn, were from earlier stories and were carefully integrated into late devised histories. The dreaded Necronomicon, one of Lovecraft's most famous creations, undergoes a gradual evolution. First, mentioned in The Hound, it is here attributed that Abdul al-Hazred, the mad Arab, an Arab poet mentioned in an earlier story, the nameless city... Al-Hazred was, in fact, the boyhood persona of a five-year-old, wow, that's that's dark, of a five-year-old H.P. Lovecraft, his youthful imagination inflamed by his grandfather's copy of A Thousand and One Arabian So I'm, I'm going to jump in here for a second. Um, when I was younger, I had a copy of the Necronomicon, but it was it yep. was not pieced together in any way, shape, or form like, like it was Lovecraftian. It was actually whatever company published it, put it together and made it actually seem like it was one of the mystical writings, blah, 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 and incorporated it with chaos theory and, and some other, you know, not Wiccan, but you know, magical religion nonsense. Right. And yep. so I actually believed it was real. Well, and by real, I mean, it was, it was, it was real in the sense of that. It fit in with things like the golden dawn, Alistair Crowley and Enochian, uh, you know, yada, 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 right? It wasn't until later in my life that I realized that, or I learned that that was a, a, a Lovecraft story. And it was a very embarrassing moment for me because, because I was very insistent because the book I had was seriously put together. Like this was all part of, of some serious sort of, work. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Some, some Marduk Sumerian nonsense that, you know, that, uh, that progressed on. So you can replicate a lot of that because of the, the writing of the Mad Arab, a lot of that can be replicated. Uh, into we'll just say other stories that can seem more uh more historical yeah lovecraft died in near obscurity in march of 1937 at the age of 46 a victim of bright's disease and virulent and virulent cancer i don't like the word virulent in front of cancer it tells me cancer is a virus and it's not his mother had died in 1921 after two years confinement in the same institution where his father had died oh my god coincidence 
Yeah. A brief two-year marriage accompanied by residents in New York proved disastrous, though divorce was never made final. And in 1926, Lovecraft had returned home to Providence to live out his years as a bachelor, sharing quarters with two aunts. These last years saw a reduced output of fiction, but it was during this period he produced some of his most memorable tales. He also found time to travel, visiting places that tickled his antiquarian heart. Maine, Philadelphia, Quebec, St. Augustine, Charlotte, New Orleans, Salem, and Nantucket. Traveling by bus, sleeping in YMCAs, eating crackers, cheese, and canned beans. That's got to be healthy. He sounds sounds like a hobo by this point. (laughs) Lovecraft was able to indulge his personal taste for travel, history, and antiquity. Plenty of evidence exists to show that Lovecraft was, by any assessment, an odd individual. No, he was batshit crazy. But some of the greatest artists in the world are also batshit crazy. I mean, Kanye, what are you going to do? <laughs> Predisposed to hypochondria and a premature pose of old age, for much of his life, he was committed to social and artistic views more suitable to centuries past than the one he lived in. Yes, he is one of the people that required a patron to live the way he wanted to live, to do the things he wanted to do. He would need a patron. And he was centuries beyond uh, being able to get one. So that sucked. Allergic to cold and repulsed by seafood. Well, so am I. He was also a scientist and a philosopher possessed of an inquiring mind and sharp wit. Most who came to know him during his lifetime were profoundly changed by his friendship. I, I, I have no, I can't fight that. Encouraged and enlightened by his irreducible. Ir- I'm not looking at where you are right there. I, know you're not, by his, oh, I, I can't, I no, can't bring myself to say this he's, right now in my sickness. It's erudition. He's uh, erudition. Okay. Erudition. Okay. And no nonsense philosophies. Many went on to achieve fame far greater than the mentor ever enjoyed during his lifetime. That that's to suck. He has the same effect today. Generations after his death, his name is better known than ever, and those who discover him, whether through his stories, through films, games, comics, or trading cards, find themselves as fascinated by his bizarre creations and nightmare worlds as were his contemporaries so many years ago. So, what we're talking about is Lovecraft was not appreciated in his own time, partially because he was cuckoo bananas. By all accounts, bananas. His dad was definitely bananas. His mom went bananas. He was bananas. So he could not hold on to any success, most likely because he would he would sabotage himself. That I'm just reading between the lines here. He probably sabotaged himself because his integrity was was more important than putting food on the table every single time. Okay, but every every other peer who read his books, corresponded with him, or spoke to him was inspired to the point where it made their lives better. It made them, their career shoot in, into the, into the sky. One of the things that I'd like to say, Oh, go ahead, sir. And that goes on to this day. So much of, of his works or works that were based on, on, on his works were, uh, are used in the last 30, 40 years alone to create blockbuster movies, best-selling novels, uh, television shows that, that last for at least five seasons, stuff like that. It's all because of him. He could not capitalize on his genius because his genius was the kind that was crippling. 
And and there's something to be said, like uh, I'm going to get a little philosophical discussion for just a second, but uh, standing by your morals is one thing and it can be respectable, but if standing by your morals means you can't put food on the table, I don't know how much, you know, I can respect that. I know that no, there's, I... especially in the current world, there's a lot of people trying, and I'm not even getting political. I'm just saying with a lot of ideas, thoughts, philosophies out there, uh, at some point you have to survive your morals. You can't take your morals with you. And I'm not, I'm not suggesting be a, be an idiot. I'm not suggesting be a bad person. I'm just saying that at some point it might feel good to be like, look, I'm doing this for everybody. Well, at some point you've got to do something for yourself. Yeah. See, think of it this way. Compromising your morals to make sure you can write five more books you want to write is actually uh, helping, helping your good. greater goal. Yep. Because if, if you die in a gutter, because you weren't going to compromise your morals, those five books that you were going to write that were the pinnacle of, of your vision never get written and you're now a loser. So, you know, you got to, got to look at it that way. Okay. After love, we don't, we don't need to go after All Lovecraft. Right. So we learned about, we learned about Lovecraft there. You said, uh, yes. give me some mythos. Yes. Now we're going to go to the mythos. First, and for anybody who looked up. at that little, little history lesson there, like, oh, my God, this is boring. I, no, it's important to get that history aspect, aspect of it to understand. First of all, he was a very prolific writer, number one. There's a lot of stuff out there you can read to understand this if you're, if you're not. Like, I haven't read any. I've played Call of Cthulhu. I've not read a single word of Lovecraft as far oh, as man, I'm aware. Oh, man, should. I mean, I, okay, okay. Here, it's on my bucket I, list. Okay, now I'm going to have to warn. What the hell just happened? I'm going to have to warn everyone. It is written in, there it is. It is, it is written in language of the day. Yeah. Okay. So it's going to be a little more difficult to get the hang of it. It's kind of, it's, it's not as bad as reading Shakespeare, but it's similar. All right. You're going to have a little trouble. That's why I said, get it off of the Kindle or Kindle app, because it comes built in. If you hold your, if you hold your finger over a word, you understand, it, yeah. it will give you the definition, you know, and it will give you several definitions. If you hold your, if you, if you, uh, cop, if you, uh, highlight a whole phrase, it, it, it will give you a, a, a common version variant of it. So you understand what's going on. After a while, you won't need to do that. You'll get used to the style. You get used to the word, the, the verbiage. You get used to it. It's the pros and then it of just the flows. time. And then uh, it just flows. And so, so we got we got the history now. But it leads into this. What is the mythos? What what? Okay, what is it? I don't want to say you're trying to fight against because it's more than just that. What is the ambiance of the game that you're playing now? Let's find out. Lovecraft once wrote, "All my tales are based upon the fundamental premise that." common human laws and interests and emotions have no validity or significance in the vast cosmos at large. See, unlike, you know, uh, religion, the world, he, he, he realizes that the universe does not revolve around us. We are not special just ants. in the universe. The odds of us being the most special beings in the universe are so infinitesimally small as to be ridiculous to actually say it's true. And with that in mind, he went and created all the things that actually are more important than us, which is the mythos. 
He further imagined that the fundamental truths of the universe were so alien and horrifying that the mere exposure to them might result in madness or suicide. While humanity might crave both comfort and the truth, only one or the other was possible. The human mind is an inflexible container. It cannot maintain cosmic truth and complete sanity. More of one poured in must spill out more of the, of the other. Mm, Let's okay. read that again. More of one poured in must spill out more of the other. That means the more cosmic truth you put into an inflexible container of human mind, the more the human mind will spill out to make room. Spill out sanity. Exactly. Yeah. You start losing your brain. Humans desperate for the power cloaked within truth might for might choose to forego all remnants of sanity in exchange for becoming adept at manipulating the secrets of time and space. Their devil's bargain made, these merciless sorcerers would whistle down devastation and doom to this world in exchange for yet more knowledge and power. That is the idea of most of the enemies in Call of Cthulhu role-playing game. They are cultists, they are sorcerers, they are they are uh uh now insane uh dabblers in darkness because the more knowledge of the universe they gained, the more humanity they lost. And there comes a tipping point when you have more knowledge than 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 humanity. That's when it just snowballs out, and now you're the bad guy. Not intentionally, but you are. But it happened to you, yeah. Lovecraft's working out of these ideas in his fiction became known as the Cthulhu mythos. The term encompasses a complex and broad group of sometimes contradictory narratives, stories, essays, letters, and deductions so extensive as to be impossible to summarize in detail, which is apropos, and not the least because new mythos material continues to be written around the world. Adding to the confusion, one of his perceptions was that the truly alien is genuinely unknowable. The mythos becomes not just mysterious, but protean and contradictory. Not only do we not know it, of course, thank you. Not only do we not know it, we can never, we can never know it. As it transpires, we have only our own names for most of these things. We do not even know their real names for themselves or if they even have names. It's probably a combination of smells, fourth dimensional text and, or, you know, or sounds or visions or whatever, you know, it could be like, could you, you think Cthulhu's name is actually Cthulhu? No, but for all we know, it could be Brad. I don't know. Hey, but that explains that. a lot. There you go. A general summary. Here we go. Through their inter interrelations are, though their interrelations are obscure, we know that some entities of the Cthulhu mythos are clearly superior or inferior in their powers. Gods are the mightiest, followed at some distance, apparently, by the great old ones. Depending on which author one reads, the universe is ruled by beings variously known as the elder gods, outer gods, or other gods. Only a few of these deities are known by name. The majority are both blind and idiotic in human terms. They are extremely powerful alien beings, and some may be of extra cosmic origin. The outer gods rule the universe and have little to do with humanity, except for Narlithotep. Gnarly. Except for Gnarly. <laughs> Humans, meddling with these entities, suffer for it, usually ending in madness or death. Names for a few outer gods are known. 
they appear almost as true gods as opposed to the alien horror of the great old ones, and some may personify a cosmic principle. Only a few of these deities seem to take interest in human affairs or even acknowledge the existence of the human race. What? Yeah. When How are they we do, not the center of the universe? This is why. When they do, they often are shown trying to break through cosmic walls or dimensions to wreak new destruction. Oh. All the races and lesser deities of the mythos acknowledge the outer gods and many worship them. Please stay asleep. <laughs> Please stay away. Daddy needs a new universe. The outer gods are controlled by, to some extent, by their messenger and soul. Gnarly. Gnarly. I can't do it right now. I got, I'm too drugged up. When the outer gods are discomfited, Gnarly investigates. Azathoth, the daemon sultan and ruler of the cosmos, rides mindlessly to the piping of a demon flute at the center of the universe. Yogg-Sothoth, either a second-in-command or co-ruler, is a Coterminius with all the with all of time and space. I imagine exists simultaneously in all time. And yeah, space. that's a word I don't know either. Yeah, but locked somehow outside of the mundane universe. Yog Sothoth can be summoned to this side only through the use of mighty spells, whereas Azathoth theoretically might be met by traveling far enough through space. A group of outer gods and bizarre beings dance slowly around Azathoth but none are named. Okay, here's 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 the here's what we're trying to tell you with this with this paragraph of shit that I'm sure at first blush you guys are not going to get. That's the point. That's actually the point. You don't get it. These outer gods are primordial beings that either have intelligence beyond the scope of us even beginning to understand or don't have intelligence at all. The universe exists because they do, or they exist because the universe does. The answer is so intermingled that both are true. And the only reason that the gears of the universe still were and, and, and become, you know, and actually do motion is because they are occupied. Gnarly occupies them by dancing demons all around them, uh, playing flute, stuff like that, keeping them comforted, keeping them uh still because Schrodinger's universe start, yeah once they start moving the universe breaks violently so any and anyone who calls upon any human being who calls upon the the power of an outer god will almost instantly go insane something like that is not to be trifled with but humans are stupid and they often do it I'll be the one that survives. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be me. I'm the one. I'm special. No, you're not. The term elder gods sometimes refers to another race of gods, neutral to and possibly rivals of the outer gods. The elder gods, if they exist, do not seem to be as dangerous to humanity as Azathoth and his ilk, but they have less contact with humanity. Nodens is the best known elder god. Outer and elder gods sometimes have been lumped together and confusingly called the other gods, though primarily gods of the outer planes do not and not of our earth. They would seem seldom called here. However, when they do appear, they are second to nothing in horror. And just as thoroughly con to confuse you, a set of minor outer gods are known collectively as the lesser other gods. <laughs> See, it gets weird. Uh, 
This is also what happens when you have dozens of authors adding to your story. You, it gets weird like this. And you're fat crap crazy. Yeah. And, and oh, yeah, yeah. Being, you know, shithouse rat crazy. Yeah. Species associated with these deities, uh, Shantax, Hunting Horror, Servitors of the Outer Gods, and the young, and Dark Young of Shub Niggurath are correspondingly rare on Earth. The great old ones are not as supernatural as the outer gods, but are nonetheless godlike and terrible to human eyes. Humans are much more likely to worship great old ones who are comparatively near at hand and who occasionally participate in human affairs or contact, contact individual humans than they are to worship the outer gods. Entire clans or cults may secretly worship a great old one. Lone madmen, on the other hand, seem to prefer the outer gods. Beings serving the great old ones frequently inhabit the remote vastness of the earth. Investigators most often encounter their worshipers and alien servants. This is where the cults come in. Cults worship great old ones because great old ones are more, are is a slot machine that is more likely to pay out. You give enough sacrifices to the great old one slots and boom, you're going to get triple seven someday. Outer gods or other gods, whatever you, you can, you can, you can, you can play their slots your entire life and never come up a winner because what they think, if they think at all is nothing to do with you. The, the great old ones, on the other hand, their, 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 uh, their personality, intellect and existence is small enough to where they notice human beings. So if you constantly knock on the door of one, one day it will answer. Even if it's to say, die for knocking on my door. The great old ones themselves appear to be immensely powerful alien beings with supernatural seeming abilities, but not to be true gods in the sense that the outer gods are reported. Each great old one is independent of the rest and many seem to be temporarily imprisoned in some way. It is said that when the stars are right, the great old ones can plunge from world to world. When the stars are not right, they cannot live. Cannot live need not mean death, as the famous couplet from the Necronomicon suggests. That is not dead, which can eternal lie, and with strange eons, even death may die. The idea of this is that life and death for these powerful beings don't mean the same things that it does for us stupid humans. A great old one that is dead, all that means is he's currently not affecting the universe. That's it. He's not gone forever. He's gone for now. Taking a nappy well, nap. Exactly. And when the stars are right, that's that's uh, that that's human understanding of when it's time for him to wake up and be alive again. Alive meaning now affecting the universe again. So for great old ones, you really don't, they don't die. They just kind of go away for a while. And when they come back, it, it, there's some kind of math to that when they do come out, but they will. And you're not going to like it. Cthulhu, the most famous creation of Lovecraft, is a great old one. With the rest of his race, he sleeps in a vast tomb at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. Cthulhu seems to be the most important great old one on Earth on earth others of differing forms exist and they are recorded as being both less powerful and more free 
The Thakwa, the Windwalker, roams at will across Earth's Arctic latitudes. Haster, the unspeakable, dwells near near Aldebaran, the star, and Cthuga near near Formalt. Okay, that's, an, that's another star. That's another star. Obviously, so. Other great old ones doubtless infest other worlds, and it may be common for a world to be ruled by dominant great old ones, or more likely their their kin. All those known on Earth are invoked or worshipped by humans, but by the evidence of the stories, Cthulhu is worshipped more than the rest put together. Minor great old ones such as Quachil Utawus, I'm that was a that was a Hail Mary, usually have no worshippers, but wizards may know spells. Thank you to summon them. Whoa. I will, I will that, teach you one thing, not how to help yourself, not how to throw a fireball, but to bring me to you. There you go. All right. Uh, interventions by great old ones in human affairs are isolated. Some commentators suspect that these greater beings rarely think about human beings or take them into account. Humanity is negligible and unimportant. Okay, now I'm offended. They don't care. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Certain mythos species are often associated with particular great old ones or outer gods. Baiki with Haster, for instance, or Night Gaunts with Nodens. Frequently, a god or great old one manifests accompanied by several such beings representatives may act as hitmen messengers spies or delivery boys frightening off investigators and bulking out confrontations in comparison outer gods and great old ones should be met infrequently okay this is this is a this is a really good tip for keepers and a, and a really good tip on if you're a player or an investigator when to walk away from a game as a keeper Outer gods and great old ones are not in the story until the end. And then only if the group has messed up. All right. Failed. Because when an outer god or a great old one touches the earth, the earth will break. Not in a way where it's, oh, I can, I can gorilla glue this back together. No. So when it happens, it's like the shadow of it or uh, like, how, how would you incorporate that? So it doesn't break the okay, earth. So if, if, if an outer God was summoned to the earth and it flew by its shadow from space would blanket part of the earth and every single human animal, human and animal, that fell within its shadow would mutate into some horrible monstrosity and start uh, and start a cannibalistic nightmare across the planet. Those are the things that happened when outer gods come to earth. You don't want that. You don't need that. That's bad for you. That means you as the players have failed. And if you as a keeper introduce outer gods and great old ones and like, session five like oh you see cthulhu you're wrong you've done wrong things you should cut your toes off that's how bad oh, wow. you are infrequently means almost never all right other alien species are also important and sometimes have been able to hold their own against great old ones such beings vary in power and some are now extinct 
they are intimately connected with our planet as described in at the mountains of madness and the shadow out of time in these stories lovecraft gives his the the true history of the earth some species such as such as d holes <laughs> <laughs> i think that's or, doles but okay <laughs> i know i know i wanted i wanted to say d holes because it's funny or flying polyps which sounds gross and my, my butthole puckered a little bit <laughs> Make no association with particular gods or else, as with elder things and the great race, take no special interest in magic. At the dawn of the Cambrian Age, oh. beings known only as the elder things flew to the earth. And there are several short stories about, about uh, human beings being displaced by elder things. Displaced, I mean, an elder thing's mind is shoved millions and ten, tens of millions of years in the future to inhabit a human body to learn about humans, and the human's mind gets put into the elder thing's body millions of years in the past. So they switch. That doesn't sound fun. It's not, because you're in a body that is not just alien, but seeing yourself in a mirror would be sanity killing. Don't worry, they're, they're not evil. They, they, they take steps to make sure you, the humans don't, you know, break. They inhabited much of the land, warred with other species, and finally were pushed back to Antarctica. The elder things, perhaps mistakenly, bred organisms eventually to evolve into the dinosaurs, mammals, and humanity. They also bred the horrible Shoggoths, whose ultimate revolt led to the near extinction of the elder things. Eons ago, Indigenous cone-shaped beings and had their minds taken over by the great race of Yith, mental beings from the stars. The great race survived in their adopted bodies until about 50 million years ago when they were defeated by terrible flying polyps not native to this earth. I don't yep. want to envision that war, okay? I'm sorry. I yeah, just that, don't that want is to... a war that I don't, I don't want to be a part of. I understand. I'm glad it happened 50 million years ago because today yeah. I, I, I call quit. Yeah, I don't need it. I get it. Okay. The great race was had imprisoned in vast caverns beneath the surface. However, the great race had already transmitted their minds forward in time to escape their doom. The 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 great race, there was a couple of stories in that too, where they would survive every extinction level event that that befell their race by projecting their minds into the future into the bodies of of sentient beings that existed when there's no more danger. Think about it. That's pretty smart. It's also extremely evil by our morality, but as a survival trait, yeah. it's, it's, it's a smart deal. The star spawn of Cthulhu came down upon the earth and conquered a vast reach of land in the primordial Pacific Ocean, but were trapped when it sank beneath the surface. The beings referred to as the fungi from Yugoth or Migo, I hate those things, established their first bases on earth in the Jurassic period about 100 million years ago. They gradually reduced their bases to the tops of certain mountains where they maintain mining colonies and such. Dozens of other races also participated in the antediluvian parade. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good, that's a good phrase. I like that. Such as the serpent people who built cities in a civilization in the Permian before the dinosaurs had evolved and a winged race that succeeded the great race of Yith. Even species from Earth's future are mentioned, such as the beetle-like organisms that will one day succeed man and the intelligent arachnids that are prophesied to be the last intelligent life on Earth. I don't want Billions, to exist during that time. You won't. You won't. Billions of years in the future. 
right, right, right before the planet gets destroyed by the sun going red giant. Hey, you know what? It, it kills all the bugs, right? There you go. I, it's okay. I'll be dead before. I do not want to live on bug world. Screw that. No, you won't. Don't worry. You won't. At present, humans share the planet with deep ones and ghouls, which seem related to humanity in some fashion, and with a handful of Migo. Other species occasionally visit Earth or are sleeping or are dormant or the keeper hasn't told you they exist yet. All right. And that is all for chapter two, Mythos Lore. Now, on our last next episode, we are going to go to Sanity. It's funny that you do san- but you do sanity before we even talk about the game system or whatever. But it yes. makes sense because of how important it is. So, uh, and plus, it's a really good segue from Mythos Lore. Fair. All right. So, questions. Dean uh, Dog, if people would learn that uh, one character is not more important than the group, TTRPGs would not have the problems they do now. Correct. Correct. I mean, uh, it's uh, there. There has been in Western society for the past. Uh, 80 years a, a growing individualism at the not not to assist society but at the detriment to society at the narcissistic level yeah it, it's of course leaked into role-playing games sure and the last 30 years it's gotten much worse because uh, individualism is held to such a an, a greater esteem than than actually co- collectively working for a greater goal as to become ridiculous and people so, don't and, understand that there's a difference between freedom and individualism yes like there's there's you know I, I, some of the terms that heathen dog use i know we're going to get comments on collectivism communist right no but there's a there's a difference between being free but also looking out for your neighbors and what's around you and not summoning cthulhu here just because it's going to give you some power knowing that ah, so so i break a few eggs you know <laughs> yeah not great but yes you are you are correct though you are correct uh, several Lovecrafting stories show how much the party can survive the Dunwich Horror and the Mountains of Madness see the main characters living to fight another day. So don't despair. It can actually end well. Yes. yes. You, if, if everyone dies in the first adventure, maybe everyone screwed up or maybe the keeper screwed up. But usually maybe one of the group will die. The rest of them will lose sanity, but they will gain experience, possibly power, may, maybe a spell or two to to garner more or greater success in the next scenario that's usually what happens now after five or more scenarios now you're on the clock now you're on the sanity clock winning in i don't know about seventh edition we'll we'll, we'll find out when getting game mechanics but winning in fifth edition you gain back some sanity because victories bolster psyches i understand that everyone should so the more you win the more you can win the more you lose, the more you're going to lose. It's a death spiral. Yeah. Lovecraft is fairly easy to read as far as classics go. The imagery will keep you going. For example, The Temple and the Outsider. Lots of people are just mentioning different books. Basically, yeah. the, the imagery. And, and I think Howard was like that as well. Like, even though they're short stories, the action sequences actually brought you into the action sequence. Mm-hmm. So uh, I haven't read any Lovecraft, but I've heard this, that uh, that Lovecraft is great if you've got a good imagination because uh, he vibrantly tells you what's going on. And 
you can see it, you're gonna see it. <laughs> oh yeah, no, for 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 modern readers, the only hurdle is going to be the language and the and and the you know and the uh, the sentence structure of the late 1800s, early 1900s. But once you get over that, these stories are really good. Uh, ChatGPT says the correct term is coder. Yeah, whatever. The word uh, coder means refers to two or more things that share the same boundaries or that are coextensive. Basically, how you explained it. Yeah, I, 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 I successfully gathered the definition from context. I'm ah, I'm a human. All right. Uh, and here's something that uh, reminds so. me that you forgot to do something. Uh oh. Snake this Call of Cthulhu humble bundle for 25 pounds. Couldn't resist. Just need to find time to play it. Um, you okay. were supposed to put the link out. Don't worry, I've got it now. You, oh, good, thank you. No, I I also got it this morning. Uh, the the moment I saw Crafty post it, I looked at it and went thirty books for thirty bucks, sold. Yeah, I I posted the link to Rumble and uh, YouTube and Twitch. Excellent. So the link for that humble bundle is in uh, is in the description. It's thirty books for thirty bucks. It's excellent. It's including the main book. So, I mean. For thirty bucks, you 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 can play years of campaigns on this stuff. And I'm a bad bad person because I didn't send it to Heathen Dog. You had to get it from yeah, Crafty it's a PDF bundle because because uh, I don't like humble bundle. <laughs> so, he doesn't like humble bundle. Uh, all right, and uh, then finally we have. Jesus, well, guess we got three for now. It's uh, Heathen Dog's pronunciation guide coming February 2024. <laughs> Order now. Act fast. We'll throw in Drow too. <laughs> it's Drow. Okay. <laughs> that is a fight. I know. I know. I put that on purpose. <laughs> yep. uh, okay. So moving forward, let's let's go ahead and uh, and get it out of the way. All this stuff is not purposefully hard to pronounce. It just is hard to pronounce. And really, you can only pronounce it correctly if you've heard someone pronounce it correctly. But did they pronounce it correctly? I don't know. Flip a coin, man. I mean, I mean, some of that, like the Egyptian stuff, and there are a couple of corrections in in yeah, chat. Yeah, you, you, I could have, I could have corrected you on that because I used to study Egyptology and so forth. But it didn't. To me, it doesn't matter. You're you're explaining the generalities of what's going on. Number one, so having every word perfect doesn't matter at this point. That'd be more important for rules than it would be for lore. Uh, and secondly, since I was in that same position for over a year, sitting there reading you off, some, I know that you can pronounce some of the simplest words messed up, you know, and I'm just, You have some empathy for me. I get yeah, Well, it's also, it, it, would, it would disjoint the segment to stop you every time. You know, like there's no point in that. Just let's move on. Unless it, whoa, 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 whoa. You said up and this says down and that makes a big difference. Well, then I might stop you. But other than that, why? Why? So. And Shadow and Sun said, yeah, I don't pay for PDFs. It's a dollar a PDF, man. A dollar. Well, and uh, so I've had a conversation with multiple creators. If you follow our channel, you can probably know who at least a couple of them are. And because I complained about the same thing about five, six years ago, I could get an entire, you know, 700 page book for five bucks PDF. You know, I'd have to pay, you know, 50 bucks for the hardcover, but uh, nowadays, the going rate for a PDF, whether you like it or not, and whether I like it or not, is fifty percent of the cover price. Which if is a, trash. I, I I agree. I think that that's ridiculous. But as more people go digital, I know more people now who would rather have digital PDFs than hardcovers. It's basically old people like us who want the hardcovers, and that's a, or soft physical copies. Screw that. I like both. I like the PDFs for what we're doing here. But I, in my hand, I need this. Yes. 
You know, that, that control F search function doesn't matter to me that much. I would rather have that book, but point being we're on the, we're on the fading edge of that. And you're going to see PDFs cost 50% of what books cost. So there you go. Anyway, that, that shouldn't have been part of this segment, but it is now. Um, you already <laughs> told people what we're going to see in the next one. So, yeah, we'll hope to see everybody in the next video. And there's the. All right, I need to I need to break for a second. Yep, not a problem. Go. So he knocks out one more segment and then I will get into Aliens Unlimited. That's right. Overview. Um, sneak peek for some of you. There really isn't a lot in this book. There isn't. The next book, the one I cover next week, has much more than what's in this book. Uh, this book... So I was telling Heathen Dog before the, uh, the stream started that it reminds me of After the Bomb, where After the Bomb has like a million animals in it, but you need all those different animals in order to be able to play. A fox, a cat, uh, a snake, uh, a bird, you know, what, whatever. You need all those different animals in there. This book is laden with aliens, and I'd say it has ten times more aliens than you need but I, I you know it's it's not a huge complaint it's just i think they could have combined this and the galaxy guide into one book it was, there's probably a time crunch or something that went with that or somebody just had a really fun time making this entire book of aliens that i just think is too much i i this book could have been a quarter of the size and still just as meaningful uh with that said i do like it but we'll get into that when it's my segment so um I don't know, you know, some people, oh, there's a money grab. They just did it so they could sell two books. Now, my understanding is that this was done first, and the Galaxy Guide just wasn't even ready when this one was done. I could be wrong, so. Cool. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Call of Cthulhu 7th Edition read-through. Now, we've already gone through the introduction of H.P. Lovecraft, the introduction to his mythos, and now we're going to talk about what the mythos does to regular folk. We're going to talk about sanity, more specifically, the loss thereof and all of the varied ways that you can go insane and dead. The best tabletop RPG groups follow these core values to respect the campaign setting, the game, and the people at the table. Refer to the URL in the video's description to donate to the charity we support, The Wounded Warrior Project. Sunday on Rumble and YouTube, we provide tabletop RPG game, system, and setting overviews. Then on Friday, a panel of guests editorialize on the TTRPG hobby as a whole. Thursdays and Saturdays are when Heathen Dog leads his Dirty Casuals video game squad on twitch.tv slash legionofmyth. Please like and share this video with your friends and on social media, and subscribe to Legion of Myth for more tabletop RPG content. Okay. Like I said, we're going to talk about sanity, and if you haven't read the 7th edition Call of Cthulhu, guess what? Pun, in, pun intended, we are on the same page, because neither have I. But we're going to check it out right now. Okay. <laughs> Okay, well, if I see that guy in front of me, I'm calling the cops. Uh, I don't think the cops are going to be able to help. Well, luckily, I, I walk around the streets armed, so. <laughs> okay. Come on, get all the way over, please. Thank you. Investigators begin the game sane and rational. <laughs> oh, isn't that nice? 
That's nice. They don't know me. During their investigations, they will encounter otherworldly horrors, alien creatures, and the terrible cosmic truths of the Cthulhu mythos, all of which will challenge their state of mind and sense of normality and push them to the very edge of sanity. In some cases, the experience will be too much, and the unfortunate investigator will descend into periods of temporary, indefinite, or even permanent madness. Each investigator has sanity points that can rise and fall during play. Sanity is used to determine whether the investigator can withstand the horrors of the Cthulhu mythos, as well as stand up to the fear-inducing situations without turning tail and running away. Loss of sanity points can lead to insanity. When sanity points are reduced to zero, an investigator is permanently and incurably insane and ceases to be a player character. So, my, my, the, mind you, oh. there, there's your finish line. Okay, when you reach zero, your character's done. It's done. He's gone. He's in. He's in the loony bin forever. Or he's now an NPC character that is that has gone insane and going to be used against your group later on. Because he's now gone past the tipping point between power and, and humanity. Powers overcome his humanity, and now he just doesn't care about humans, only power. And remember, kids, this is only your character. Yeah, only your character. We are, in, in the very first episode of this, we talked about the difference between players and investigators. Sanity in the game is modeled after the behavior of protagonists in H.P. Lovecraft's fiction who, more often than not, faint or go mad when confronted with mind-bending physics and monstrous entities from beyond space and time. Sanity is the game's register of the investigator's flexibility and resilience to emotional trauma. Characters that start with a high number of sanity points find it easier to rationalize traumatic events or to repress horrific memories. Those with a lower number of sanity points are mentally fragile and more susceptible to emotional upset. While the cosmic horror of the Cthulhu mythos is the fundamental assault on the mind of an investigator, other gruesome and comparatively ordinary sights and events can also cause emotional disturbance. See, it's not just uh, otherworldly horror that can erode your sanity away. It's normal human-on-human -human violence can also do this to you but so sanity is ptsd or protection or resistance to ptsd over time your resistance will be eroded away even by mundane things and then you will be affected for example i'm sure they'll give an example later i'm going to give an example right now you know as a human being that people die every day there's over 8 billion people on this planet people die every day sometimes horribly you know this, you know this is true, but you've never seen someone's throat slit in front of you where their blood splashes on your face as the light slowly goes out of their eyes. That is a sanity roll. Sure, it's mundane in the fact it was human on human violence, but it was so much of a shock beyond your normal experience that it rattled you to the core. Something like that is also true in Call of Cthulhu. 
in an unnerving or horrifying situation, the keeper will test the resiliency and emotional strength of the investigators. This is done by calling for a sanity roll for each investigator entangled in the situation. Investigator sanity is triggered when too many sanity points are lost in too short a time, causing temporary or indefinite insanity. Now, you see one horrible thing, you get over it. You see two horrible things, you get over it. You see three, four, five horrible things in the course of an hour, there's no getting over that. <laughs> it's going to affect you. You're going to go at least temporarily insane. Unless you're such a monster that this is not out of the ordinary for you. <laughs> eh, if you throw slit, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Ah, I do that three times before breakfast. You know, if you're that kind of guy, number one, I don't want to be on an investigative team with your investigator. And no, number two, you probably made the wrong character. Sanity points and sanity rolls. Now I'm going to, this, this is going to be, since I didn't get into mechanics yet, I skipped because I wanted to talk about insanity after the mythos. It's going to be some mechanics in here and I'll explain what I can and breeze over what I won't. Sandy points should be tracked carefully as the number can change up and down throughout the game. When the investigators encounter a sandy threatening situation, the keeper may call for a sanity roll. Each player whose investigator experiences this source of horror rolls a D100 or, you know, 2D10 and, you, you know, you know how percentile, percentile dice. Yeah. Yeah. A success is a roll equal to or less than the investigator's current sanity points. Now, your sanity is going to be a figured characteristic based on your primary characteristics. So it's going to be something between 20 and 99. Somewhere in there. Is 20 a viable character? Yes. yes really? Yes. Okay. Are you a long-lasting character? Probably not. But you're viable. <laughs> okay. So you have, to, you have to roll equal to or less than your current sanity. Not the sanity you started with, not your maximum sanity. No, the current sanity you have. That's because you've been chipped away. You've been chipped away. You've been eroded like, like the water does, does to a beach shore. And your current mental strength is your current sanity. That's what you have to roll. A successful roll means the investigator loses no sanity points or only a minimal amount. Uh, in, in fifth edition, I don't know if it's true for seventh, but in fifth edition, sometimes there were two sanity loss values. One if you made the roll and one if you failed the roll. A failed sanity roll always means the investigator loses some amount of sanity points. The amount lost depends on the spell, book, entity, or situation encountered. In, and the book will tell you, will give you a range or will give you a steadfast value that you lose for this particular event or scenario. All right. In published Call of Cthulhu scenarios, sanity loss rolls are shown as two numbers or rolls separated by a slash. For instance, sanity one slash one D four plus one. The number to the left of the slash is the number of sanity points lost, lost if the sanity roll succeeds. The die roll to the right of the slash is the number of sanity points lost if the sanity roll is failed. So in this instance, if you make your roll, you lose one sanity. Eh, okay. You rolls your dice, you take your chances, right? It's <laughs> but if you fail, you lose one D4 plus one. So at very bare minimum, you lose double. Bare minimum. It's going to be like that. 
the die roll that I can done Sometimes this may be written as sanity zero slash one d four. In this particular case, successful roll means no sanity points are lost. But if you lose your sanity roll, you're gonna lose some sanity, no matter what. If you fail your sanity roll, in this instance, one d four. Failing a sanity roll always causes the investigator to lose self control for a moment. At which point that that's I think that's new. At which point the keeper should choose an involuntary action for the investigator. For example, jump in fright, causing the investigator to drop something: spectacles, flashlight, gun, book, whatever. Cry out in terror, uh, a, a manly scream. Right? Pro probably not. <laughs> probably not going to have that. Involunt yeah, involuntary movement, swerving the steering wheel dangerously to one side, throwing a one one's hands up in horror, cringing involuntary combat action if the sanity roll is failed during a combat round the investigator's action for that round may be dictated by the keeper for example lashing out with a fist squeezing a trigger taking shelter behind someone else okay wait wait now, wait, wait. you taking away my agency it, that's exactly what i was going to address some <laughs> of you are thinking wait a minute my agency re okay now i want you to listen how many tiktok videos Instagram posts have you seen where someone jumps around a corner with a mask on and and scares somebody and the first reaction of that person is to punch the monster in the face I've seen that video a hundred times it's that or run away ah just run away it happens it's human nature that's why it's part of the game and the idea that you are in complete control of your investigator in Call of Cthulhu is a fantasy. Stop thinking that. That's wrong think. You are not in control. The universe is in control. You're just walking around. All right? <laughs> Calm down. Uh, freeze. I saw freeze. Yeah, there is freeze. Oh, screw it. We know what freeze <laughs> is. All right. Losing more than a few sanity points at one time may cause an investigator to go insane. Don't worry, this is probably temporary, as described later. When encountering one ghoul, the sanity point loss is zero or wow. 1d6. Ghouls are very, very human-like, and it's really easy to rationalize just someone in makeup when you first see them. It's very easy to do that. It's the same when encountering multiple ghouls. The sanity effect is for the encounter rather than for each ghoul scene. So you're not going to go, you know, like, oh, I failed my sanity check. There's 30 ghouls there. Do I got to roll 30 D6? No. I'd make you. No, you don't. You lose 1 D6. Oh. Maximum sanity. Here we go. The threat of insanity in Call of Cthulhu characterizes the Cthulhu mythos in a way that allows no compromise. Exposed to it, few sane humans freely choose the mythos, for the mythos is intrinsically loathsome and foul, because your brain is your brain, and this is cosmic horror. Get that in there. The connection of sanity points and Cthulhu mythos skill points emphasizes the power of the mythos, which corrupts and ruins by proximity and association. What we're talking about is the Cthulhu mythos skill, the mythos skill. This is your knowledge of the Cthulhu mythos. The more knowledge you have about the unknowable cosmic power around you, the less sane you could possibly be. That's got to be so... 
anathema to pe- to people who are like, the more I know, the stronger I should be. The more I understand it, the more I should get it, the more I should uh, I should be uh, capable of resisting it, whatever. No. No? <laughs> the more susceptible you are to it. Here's the thing. In either the last episode or the first episode, we talked about the fact that your brain is an inflexible container. It's a box. And it's filled with human knowledge. You start pouring mythos knowledge into your container the mythos knowledge will stick it will force out the human knowledge the humanity your humanness your sanity so the more you know about the mythos the less you the less you now connect with humanity so it is definitely at at some point a slippery slope ignorance is bliss Ignorance at least keeps you sane. I don't know about happy. I can't. I can't guarantee happy, but <laughs> I, can, I, 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 I can. I can. I can guarantee you won't be carving sigils into your face. You know, there's that. An investigator's sanity points may rise and fall during play. However, they may never rise above the character's maximum sanity rating. Each investigator has a maximum sanity rating of ninety nine. Here's the rub. Knowledge of the mythos always lowers the investigator's maximum sanity points. Maximum sanity points equal 99 minus your mythos skill. And everyone starts with a mythos skill of zero. So the more you learn about the mythos, the less the less possible sane you can be. When gaining mythos skill points, the character should decrease the investigator's maximum sanity by the exact same amount. So mythos skill points, that's not something you can control. That's not something where it's like, uh, I don't want this skill ever and don't. No, no, you really, you really can't control it. It's, it's knowledge due to, uh, due to experience. Exposure experience. Experience the mythos. You, you know what a shambler is. You know who, who Azathoth is. So now you have mythos knowledge. You didn't want it. You didn't ask for it. You lived it. Therefore, your maximum sanity down. I got it. You cannot possibly be sane any that that sane anymore. Going down. Every adventure. Tick, 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 tick. All right. But at first, you start with 99, right? So at first, it's not going to be a big deal. It's later on. Later on, it gets to be a big deal. But we're, we're okay now. In Call of Cthulhu, insanity is induced by traumatic experiences and the ghastly comprehension that connects the mythos. The duration of the insane state depends upon the number or proportion of sanity points lost. Three states of insanity can result, temporary, indefinite, and permanent. Regardless of whether the insanity is temporary or indefinite, it will consist of three distinct game phases. This is... This is to help the players understand what their insanity actually means. First, the insanity begins with a brief bout of madness, during which the player's control of their investigator is compromised. Don't worry. Player's control. Player's control of the investigator is compromised because the investigator has lost the ability to do things on his own. He's he's lost the ability to choose at, at the moment. Second, the bout of madness is followed by a period of underlying insanity during which the player retains full control of the investigator. However, the investigator is prone to delusions, phobias, and further bouts of madness. This is the long-term effect 
of what happened to you. The initial effect, you, you had your finger bitten off by a ghoul. You lost control of yourself and you ran away, right? That is the initial effect of the sanity loss. But if you lost enough sanity points, the long-term effect is you may have a phobia of dead things. You may have a, uh, I don't know, a, a delusion or constant waking nightmares of ghouls surrounding you. Sleeping under happen? your blankets because the blankets can protect you. There you go. Does this happen every day, every moment, every hour? No, no. But it will happen every once in a while for a while. Third, the final phase is recovery. Treatment and recovery from insanity. We're not going to we're not going to get into that today because I just wanted to get over a, a, I want to talk about sanity. But yes, you can recover from sanity loss. Just like everyone else, you go to therapy. You either accept it or you accept that it never really happened, go into denial and you become more sane because of it. Does that help you fight the madness fight uh, mythos later on? <laughs> no. But it, it helps you get back into the fight. Temporary insanity. If an investigator loses five or more sanity points as the result of one sanity roll, sufficient emotional trauma has been suffered that the keeper must test the investigator's sanity. The keeper asks for an intelligence roll. If the roll is failed, the investigator has repressed the memory, a trick the mind uses to protect itself, and does not become insane. Perversely, if the intelligence role succeeds, the investigator recognizes the full significance of what has been seen or experienced and goes temporarily insane. The effects of temporary insanity begin immediately and last for 1d10 hours. So now, play a dumb guy with no mythos skill. Got it. See, that that's that's the thing. That's the thing. In many, many Lovecraftian stories, it's the jock that survives. Why? Because he's usually the toughest and he usually doesn't get it. He doesn't understand what's happening. So his brain either blocks it out or makes up a story. It's the smart guy. It's the book nerd. It's the guy who understands what's going on. He's the one who's going to go temporarily insane first because he gets it. He understands exactly what happened and it chilled him to the bone. Because he knows this should not exist, but it does. That's the difference between knowing what happened and not knowing what happened. Indefinite insanity. On losing a fifth or more of your current sanity points in one game day. The word day is in because it's one game session, basically. If you lose one fifth or more of the sanity points you had at the beginning of the gameplay, before the end of the gameplay, you go indefinitely insane. No investigator is simply able to shrug off this amount of sanity drain. It doesn't matter how much your brain tries to protect you. It doesn't matter how dumb you are. You're going to get it enough to where this is going to happen to you. A day and it is defined by the keeper. It leaves you last until the investigator reaches a place of safety in which they can rest and recover their wits. Depending on the situation, it may mean surviving until dawn, sitting down for a nice cup of tea, or having a good old night's sleep. Indefinite insanity lasts until the character is cured or recovers. Cured. Therapy. Therapy, man. Now, what kind of therapy is this? Oh, the vampire made me go 
indefinitely insane. Well, if you kill the vampire that scared you, I'd call that some therapy right there. Definitely cathartic. Yeah. <laughs> at, at, at the very least, it's cathartic. Permanent insanity. When sanity points are reduced to zero, the investigator is permanently and incurably insane and ceases to be a player character. In the real world, wow. all, all insanity is indefinite insanity, since no one in real life can hope to predict the future as accurately as a Call of Cthulhu Keeper can. Many disorders, especially congenital conditions, offer little hope of recovery. Lovecraft concludes more than one story with the in intimation that a lifetime of madness for the narrator will follow. Every keeper must work out what the end point of madness is in the game. Now and then, a quiet release might be made from a local asylum. Some thin, unnaturally pallid person, almost unrecognizable after soul-wracking terrors, can walk shyly into downtown Arkham or elsewhere, cast keen eyes about, and attempt to regain some semblance of his or her former life. However, no player should count on such a privilege as a right. Here's the thing. When you get to zero sanity points, you are now an NPC. You give your character to the keeper. You give your investigator to the keeper and you make another one. But remember, your character is not dead. Your character is not gone. The keeper can bring back that character in any way he sees fit. Now, are you a lucky little boy or girl? And the, and the, the, the uh, keeper actually tells you, guess what? Your character while in the asylum, made a remarkable breakthrough. Is now able to walk the line between sanity and insanity, at least for a little while. So your current character can go ask him for help, a la Hannibal Lecter. Yes, that can happen. Or your old character could end up being the big bad of the next scenario. We don't know. It's up to, it's up to the keeper. The effects of insanity. Oops. Both temporary and indefinite insanity take the investigator through two distinct phases. First, the investigator experiences a short bout of madness, phase one. This is followed by a longer period of underlying yet less potent insanity, phase two, which lasts until the investigator has fully recovered hours in the case of temporary insanity, months in the case of indefinite insanity. Wow. Or quicker if you go to therapy. Or possibly longer. It depends on the therapist, I suppose. So in because this world, I want to be a psychologist. You're going to have a lot of money or whatever. Yeah. You're going you're to be able to buy that boat. All right? I hear lots <laughs> of stories too. Wait, wait. If I hear those stories, does that affect me? Only if you believe them. Oh, okay, good. Because they're the ramblings of a madman. Duh. Yeah. You're, you're, you're trained to detach from those stories. On becoming insane, the investigator experiences a bout of madness. While experiencing a bout of madness, the investigator loses all self-control. In game terms, this means that the control of the investigator is handed from the player to the keeper for a short amount of real-world time. It is up to the keeper whether this control takes the form of dictating specific actions or if it means giving the player guidelines on how to play out the madness for however long it may last. See, if, if you have a good player, the keeper can go, okay, you've gone temporarily insane. You're in phase one. You are no longer in, in real control of your character. I need you to drop and break 
this thing you're holding on to. But I want you to describe the how and the why, however you want, but it must be done. Go. If you got a good player, you can do that. But if you don't have a good player in your in the keeper's opinion, or you don't have time, then you for a moment take control of your character, explain what explain what happened, scream real loud, claw your face. But to claw your face, you have to drop what's ever in, in your hand. Easy enough, right? You lose you lose a momentary little bit of your agency. You got to get over that. You got to learn. Uh, well, that's just what insanity is. That's what insanity is. You lose your agency. That's that's it. On the upside, the investigator cannot lose further sanity points while experiencing a bout of madness. Here's the rub. <laughs> You're already you insane. Can't, yeah. While the keeper is in control of your character, you are not. You cannot be punished with more sanity loss because you didn't do anything. You can't do anything. You are not experiencing the real world right now. You're experiencing a momentary, very vivid delusion where your brain is trying to run away from what's actually happening. Therefore, no matter what happens, as long as the keeper is in control of your character, you can no longer lose sanity because you're not experiencing reality. You're not experiencing the mythos. You're experiencing things in your own head. So that's a, that's a bonus. That's a plus. The mind is completely unhinged at this point and any subsequent horrors are either forgotten or later believed to be manifestation of the madness. This protection is limited. The bout of madness lasts 1d10 combat rounds of real time, if being played out, but maybe longer, in which case the bout is summarized by the keeper. Like I said, if you have control or not have control, it depends on the keeper. Each time an investigator suffers a bout of madness, the keeper may amend one of the investigator's backstory entries or add a new one. These alterations serve two purposes. The first is to reflect the investigator's descent into madness by adding irrational entries or corrupting existing ones. We're going to get into that probably when we do character generation where you, you give some of your backstory. But when you go insane, some of your memories are altered by your exposure to mythos things. And you may, you may remember your past differently. This has long-term repercussions for your character and it's amazing flavor for the table. I kind of like this. I don't, I don't believe this was in fifth edition. I kind of like this one. Uh, second entries can be added or altered to reflect events in the story and thus tie the investigator into the plot more strongly. Okay. The player and keeper should work together to add or revise backstory entries appropriately. Okay. Personal description. I guess this is an example. Suitable entries might include wild-eyed, thousand-yard stare, world-weary, or no longer cares for their own appearance. Whichever one is appropriate for the situation that drove you to be temporarily insane. You, that, that is now part of your character. It's now part of who you are. It's leaked into your psyche and is staying. I mean, how, how do you think curmudgeons become curmudgeons? I mean, look, look at Max. He wasn't born this way. He became this way. Ideology or beliefs. A balanced entry such as religious might be changed to something more extreme or deranged, such as unbelievers must be converted or made to suffer. How do you think zealots are made? 
again, they're not born. They are made. I'm in through, through trauma. This is it right here. Alternatively, a new entry that is appropriate to the situation might be made, such as obsessed with defeating the Cthulhu cult. You can turn a, a devoutly religious person into a cult murdering zealot. So one's Not an inquisitor, the other one's a confessor. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yes. So, you know, that can happen. Significant people. A new name might be added together with a reason for its inclusion. For example, can't rest until Delbert Smith is in his grave or Robin Poole is the incarnation of Ganesh. These are things that you now know to be true because of the trauma and your mind breaking a little bit. It alters what you know of people and things around you. And in your mind, it's just, you now discovered the truth, the truth behind the truth. You now know you're special. Yeah. You're a little special. All right. Meaningful locations. The present location might take on a great significance or the investigator might become fixated on reaching another location for either rational or irrational reasons. The former might be a cult temple in the jungle. The latter might be an overpowering desire to visit Graceland. Now, depending on the trauma that made you lose sanity, that made you go insane, meaningful locations will have to be chosen in an appropriate fashion. Like if, if you had if you were bitten by a ghoul and survived but what the only thing you truly remember about it is that elvis was playing in a song in the background graceland is now a meaningful location for you now whether it's bad or good like you think elvis may have saved you or Elvis was the reason you were attacked by a ghoul? Doesn't matter. I'm going there to kill Elvis once and for all because everybody knows he's still alive. <laughs> Let's okay. go. Well, there's also that. But Graceland <laughs> is now an important location for your character. Stuff like that. Treasured possessions. is easy to lose possessions while one's mind is disrupted by insanity. Any possessions might be erased or noted as lost. A new possession might be acquired and given great significance. Like, you know... Uh, in, in the in the whole thing we were talking about earlier, like uh, you go temporarily insane and the, the keeper makes you drop something. Maybe it was your, your mother's brooch and it dropped and it shattered or it fell into a grate and you couldn't get it. You had to leave it behind. Now, these treasured possessions uh, and stuff like this, you are you are compelled to retrieve it to get it back to bulwark your sanity later on, or you, it, it is now in your mind, the reason why these ghouls attacked you. They were after the brooch, screw that brooch. I don't need that brooch It is now gone. Erase it from your character sheet. You never think about it again. Could be either or, or maybe both. I don't know. It's sanity. Who knows? They go traits, injuries, or scars, phobias, and manias, arcane tome spells and artifacts. Oh, these things are awful. Such items might be lost or destroyed in a fit of, in a fit of peak. The investigator might involuntarily cast any spells that they know, activate artifacts, or study a tome that they had previously shunned. Okay, here's the thing. Spells are very powerful. Spells in Call of Cthulhu are not magic. There's no magic in Call of Cthulhu. It's science. The only problem is it's unknowable alien insanity-inducing science. 
So you learn a spell, you lose sanity. You cast a spell, you lose sanity. It's a it's a very, very slippery slope and one you're going to reach the end of far too quickly. But in, in a fit of terror, you may cast a spell as a reflex to protect yourself. That's completely legit. Or uh, be, because of the sanity you, that, that you lost, be, because of the traumatic event that caused your sanity loss, you may never cast this spell again. So much so that it's erased from your mind. Your mind is protecting itself by blocking your access to that knowledge. That's entirely fair. Entirely fair. All right. Uh, real bouts of insanity. Oh, shit. What the hell happened? Okay. There we go. Bouts of madness, real time. One, a, a roll of 1d10. Random stuff. Possibilities for bouts of sadness. Amnesia. The investigator has no memory of events that have taken place since they were last in a place of safety. For example, it seems to them that one moment they were eating breakfast, the next day, the next they were facing a monster. This lasts for 1d10 rounds. This is temporary insanity. Your brain is protecting itself by shutting off information that hurt it. That's human nature. Psychosomatic disability. The investigator suffers psycho psychosomatic blindness, deafness, or loss of the use of limb or limbs for 1d10 rounds. Your brain freaks out and shuts something off. Happens all the time. Not all the time, but it happens. Violence. A red mist descends on the investigator and they explode in a spree of uncontrolled violence and destruction directed at their surroundings, allies or foes alike. This is common. You hear it all the time. I don't understand what happened. I just saw red. And then you don't remember what happened after that until someone pulled you off of the guy that you stuck a screwdriver into. By the way, that's still a felony and you will not get off for that excuse. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not going to help you unless unless you have proven insanity of that type already diagnosed. Then you got a shot. But <laughs> insanity pleas are never fun. Paranoia. The investigator suffers severe paranoia for 1d10 rounds. Everyone is out to get them. No one can be trusted. They are being spied on. Someone has betrayed them. What they're seeing is a trick. Now, this is cool because the keeper goes, okay, you have gone under, you, you've gone in rampant paranoia. Everyone is out to get you. Go. And then you, as the player, run your investigator for the next 1d10 rounds like everyone is out to get them. There is no talking you down for 1d10 rounds. Everyone is the enemy. You can't trust anything that's real. The moon landing was fake. The earth is flat. This is the truth. For the next d10 rounds anyway. Faint. That's easy. You just faint for 1d10 rounds. Oh, oh my stars. And you go out. More manly, sure, but whatever. Flee in panic. Also common. The investigator is compelled to get as far away as possible by whatever means are available, even if it means taking the only vehicle and leaving everyone else behind. And you travel for 1d10 rounds before you can snap out of it. Now, here's the thing that a lot of players don't understand. You don't have to go back. You can choose to go back because now you are in control of your character. But if you think going back is stupid, keep trucking. 
if you think they're all going to die anyway, go to Denny's. Get a cup of coffee and some flapjacks. Good to go. Or maybe go seek some absolution, but whatever. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Go, go to, go to a confessional. You'll be fine. Physical hysterics or emotional outburst. The investigator is incapacitated from laughing, crying, screaming, etc. for 1d10 rounds. I've seen this in real life. Someone who was who was so scared or 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 so traumatized that they just started laughing and could not stop laughing, could not stop themselves from laughing. It happens in a more minor way. You know, the the there's a song like I, I laugh at a funeral you know, stuff like that, where, where you do inappropriate things at inappropriate times, but you couldn't control yourself. It's very much like that. There, there were a lot of people in basic training when, when the, when, when the uh, drill instructors would yell at them, they would smile. They didn't want to, they knew they were going to get their asses kicked if they did, but they couldn't stop themselves. Physical hysterics or emotional outbursts. This is it. They took a sanity hit and they couldn't stop themselves. Phobia. Investigator gains a new phobia. Roll 1d100 on table 9. Or the keeper just chooses one that's appropriate. I stress to the keeper, I stress to you, always choose if you can. Because 9 times out of 10, you're going to get an inappropriate or stupid sounding uh, phobia. Well, you can say, well, the human brain is a weird thing. It can make parallels that we don't see. That's true. That's true. It's also not fun. So. There's that. Mania. The investigator gains a new mania. Uh, the investigator seeks to indulge in their new mania for the next 1d10 rounds. What, what is that mania? I don't know, man. It, it, could, it could be anything as mundane as drug and alcohol abuse, or, or, or it could be something as like uh, uh, throwing, throwing a bunch of sticks on the ground and, and then, then counting how many, how many uh, overlapped on each other but you have to do it obsessively and it has to give you apparent joy. It could be something as like that or anything in between. There is a table to help you choose or to give you a guideline as a keeper to what to choose, but it's there. All right. What else we got? Uh, oh my God. Here's the sample phobias. When it said roll D 100, they weren't kidding. It's a hundred. <laughs> wow. 100 why this is blinking i don't know but it's blinking and it's freaking me out reality check rolls what what's this while reality checks are only usually called on for behalf of insane investigators a player might call for one if they wish to see through what they believe to be a hallucination or illusion oh to perform a reality check the player makes a sanity roll And nope. Okay, yeah. Failure right here. You lose one more sanity point. This will immediately induce a bout of madness if the investigator is suffering underlying insanity. Any delusions are not dispelled. Success. The investigator sees through any delusions and the keeper must describe what the investigator genuinely perceives. On making a successful reality check roll, the investigator should see things as they really are and will be resistant to delusions until losing further sanity points, thus preventing the keeper from constantly throwing delusions at a player. Successful use of psychoanalysis skill will allow an insane investigator to see a delusion for what it is. Let's see the example, because I'm not 100% on this. 
Harvey, still suffering from underlying insanity, returns to his home. Going out of his back door, he finds his neighbor leaning over the garden fence with some kind of recording device in his hand, pointed at Harvey's house. The keeper tells Harvey's player that Harvey's neighbor is spying on him. This is a delusion. In fact, the neighbor is doing no such thing. The player, wondering if it is a delusion, asks for a reality check. With a successful reality check roll, Harvey... God damn, that's irritating. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Yeah, it's not just me, right? That was crazy. No, no, I'm seeing it too. All right. So, okay, okay, okay I get it. Now, we, we, we spoke earlier about uh, uh, temporary insanity and then and then indefinite insanity, the, the slow burn underlying insanity, where sometimes you see things that aren't there. When, when I talked about the ghouls, you know, maybe you'll wake up in the middle of the night and you'll see a ghoul at the end of your bed. You're like, ah, and run away. That ghoul was never there. It was a delusion caused by your underlying insanity. But if you wake up and you see a ghoul and you're like, is that ghoul really there? You say, I want a reality check. You succeed in that reality check, the ghoul disappears. Or it, it stays. And it stays gone until you lose more sanity because now you're more resistant to delusions until you lose another sanity point. So I like that. I like that a lot. It, uh, it actually gives back a little bit of agency to the player, even if they are insane, it let, it lets the, lets the player know that yes, your investigator is suffering from a low level insanity, but there are ways where you can at least momentarily take back control of your mind. Normally, I don't. I wouldn't like the distinction, but it makes perfect sense in this game where it's like, hey, keepers, you can't keep messing with the players after you. you know, if you see through the illusion, you see through the illusion. Yeah. Yeah, we went through that already. Phobies and manifestation. I don't want to get too uh, mired in uh, in numbers because we haven't gone through the oh recovery from recovery for temporary insanity. Okay, it lasts one to ten hours. We know that indefinite insanity. Here we go. After each month of treatment, not resting in the Bahamas, I'm talking treatment of an indefinitely insane character safe from further trauma, the player makes a die roll. Two rolls of care might help, two sorts of care might help to get the character to this point, private care or institutionalization. In choosing, the keeper may, and player should consider the character's resources, friends and relatives, and past behavior. Alternatively, at the keeper's discretion, indefinite insanity lasts until the next investigator development phase at the end of the present game chapter. Uh, I, I believe that's uh, spending your experience points or not, hmm. not spending experience points, but uh, uh, tallying up your skill increases and stuff like that. We'll find out in the future. We will find out in the future. Private care. The best care available is at home or in some friendly place where the nurse where nursing can be tender, considerate, and where there are no distractions, and every nurse is a beautiful, buxom babe that washes you daily. This would be a great time. That's the now roll the sanity or the the uh, was it see through the illusion? Oh no, no, I wouldn't want to. <laughs> it's like no, I'm good. I'm good. To determine the care, uh, roll a d100. The result of one to ninety-five is a success. Wow, private care is great. Ninety-five percent chance success. Add one D3 sanity points for psychiatric me medications or psychoanalysis. This is followed by a sanity roll for the investigator. If the roll is successful, the investigator is cured. If the roll is unsuccessful, they need further treatment. Oh, wash my balls. All right. The result is 96 to 100. 
character rebels against taking the drugs or therapy. 1d6 sanity points are lost and no progress is made. Now, why would anyone rebel against, against you know, uh, nurse, nurse naughty pants? You know, why would anyone rebel against that? Well, because treatment is, is uh, showing you that what, ac- what hurt you actually didn't exist but you know it existed because it hurt you. So you would fight the treatment. There is a chance you'd fight the treatment no matter what. Because they don't know what you've been through. They didn't kill 20 ghouls with their bare hands and their and their cult overlord by, by ripping out his throat like you did. You're a hero. Why would you want to forget you're a hero? So, yeah, okay. Uh, just for us, uh, you did scroll down a little far. Um, the SOP was a private institution. This one was just uh, if you're institutionalized. Because I, I can see it has different die rolls. Oh. Because one was 0 to 95 and then 96 to 100. This one was 0 to 50. and oh, then okay, 50. Okay, I see, I see, it, I see it. Okay. Um, that was your, your browser doesn't like you. No, this thing is awful. It's, it's doing bad things to me. I'm going to have to have fix this. There it is. 96 to 100 rebels. No, rebels against. It's the same thing. Well, it's the same thing. I'm just saying for the sake of what was on the screen. Because uh, the other one, if you look at the other one, it was 0 to 50 and then 51, yeah. uh, 51 to 95, right, right, right. which is no yeah, progress I get, made. Yeah, I get, it. I get it. The information I gave was correct. Yes, so yes, yeah, yeah. Institutionalization. Now, this one is a, some kind of group care facility. If you're if you're playing the uh, the ni- 1890s, 1920s, even up to 1950s or 60s, this is going to be a loony bin. So in a loony bin, this is how you heal. It's not going to be great. A result of one to fifty, you got a coin flip now. Before it was almost certain. Now it's a coin flip. Add one d three sanity followed by a sanity roll. If it's successful, you're cured. If not, then you need more time. Fifty one to ninety five. No harm, no foul. Status quo. Just no progress is made. And then 96 to 100 is the loss. You lose 1d6 more sanity points, and they may lobotomize you. I don't know. So that's actually pretty cool. I like that. Commitment to an asylum. (laughs) This is going to be the best one, right? (laughs) The best one ever. Investigators may want to stay at an asylum or a sanitarium perhaps to gather information, hide from someone, or even receive treatment. I don't recommend that part. I saw those roles, man. They should have little trouble entering if they can pay for their care. (laughs) A private institution with an available room will accept someone without symptoms who merely wishes arrest and counseling. Because they get paid, right? They still get paid. All institutions (laughs) ask for references, however, like any therapist you're currently seeing or whatever. A medical practitioner licensed within the state can arrange that an investigator be held for psychiatric observation for up to 72 hours. If evidence of a serious disorder is gathered, the patient may be placed in an asylum for a longer period for purposes of observation evaluation as spelled out by law. Then the court will discharge or commit for treatment depending on the asylum's report. These committed for treatment, those committed for treatment are subject to review, but they may be an institution for many years. Hmm. It requires another formal presentation to the court in which an investigator would have to be found mentally incompetent to act on his or her own behalf or else might voluntarily surrender specific legal rights in return for treatment. The soundness of these proceedings can vary wildly, 
brusque pro forma evaluations are not unusual and much depend upon the character and dedication of the judge, counsel, and examining physician. No. Let's use the right term. Family and money. That's what gets you fair. Money. And if your name is Vanderbilt, Kennedy, or whatever, that's going to get you fair. This is a parole board. Yeah. They don't have to say yes or no, except whatever tweaks their loins. Okay. That, that, that's all. They're, they're, they're legally held to almost no standard. So, yeah. So committing yourself to an asylum could be great, or it could be you got to make a new character. Not because your character is completely insane or dead, because he's stuck. He's locked up in the loony bin and he can't get out. But usually from the 1950s or 60s onward, if you if you voluntarily put yourself into custody, more often than not, you can voluntarily take yourself out. Only if the doctors can prove that you're a danger to yourself or others can they keep you in involuntarily. And having a story about being attacked by ghouls is, is not inherently danger to yourself or others. So don't worry about it. You're fine. Unless the investigator is criminally insane, in which case the court must be the guardian, the guardian now decides what is best for the investigator. This may indeed be commitment, but it might also be home care or therapeutic sea voyage or whatever. Again, depending on your time frame. Lacking other indication, the court will accept any reasonable plan that seems to have the backing of medical opinion. If the guardian commits the investigator to an institution, the guardian continues to have general authority over the investigator, assigning day-to-day care and authority with the sanitarium staff. Thereafter, the investigator has three ways to leave. May convince the guardian to let him go. May convince the institution staff to bring notice to his or her restored mental health balance before awarding court, and that court takes upon itself to end the guardianship. Or he can simply climb over the wall and run away. Just break out. You can Michael Myers this stuff, man. Just just break out. He did it all the time in the Halloween movies. He broke out so many times. So many times. You could do it too. You too can be Michael Myers. So this whole thing, uh, the, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a little cheat code here. If you have, uh, <clears throat> if, if, you, if you're playing the game and your investigator trusts another investigator in your party. I would recommend getting a power of attorney of uh, a medical power of attorney that if, if you are deemed to not be responsible for yourself, this person is now your guardian. Appoint your own guardian before you go insane. It's just a smart move, man. It's just a smart move. Unless you both go insane at the same time, then you're boned, but whatever. All right. The odds of that are not as small as you'd like, but still pretty small. So there you go. Free tip. Free tip. Mental health dangerousness criteria. When a person seems to be at risk of self-harm or harm to others and apparently cannot care for him or herself, a medical doctor can certify that the individual should undergo psychiatric assessment and or become an involuntary patient. With this affirmation, often a comprehensive nature, the state can hold an individual for observation and potential treatment. The duration of institutionalization varies by state, but the term is rarely less than 60 game days for a legal assessment and frequently 180. This fate is most likely for an investigator who attempts bodily assault or murder without apparent motive 
or who intelligently shams mental disturbance to avoid serious criminal charges. Okay. So if you know that the local alderman is actually the head of a, of a murder cult and you decide to just chop off the head of the snake, you shoot your shot and you miss, you're going to be committed. Oh, sorry, brother. Saying that but he's I the head of a murder right. cult. Yeah. It does, you know, right now you're wrong. He's he's a he's an upstanding alderman. You had you had no legal proof. You had some proof that legal people go, uh, this is just ramblings of a madman. So you get institutionalized. That's what happens. So be careful what your investigator does to make sure you got some kind of out or undeniable mundane proof that this guy's a killer. Then you won't be committed. Uh, the doctor can also revoke the capacity to manage personal finances, the right to drive an automobile, the right to make treatment decisions and so on. So you're at this point, your doctor is in charge of what rights you now have. The right to play your character, the right to, well, you can play your character just in a more narrow scope. Very narrow. This guy's in charge of you. This guy right here. Uh, wish Sad, I know somebody who looks like that. Yeah. Wish.com kingpin right here. <laughs> He's in charge of you. Good luck. Increasing current sanity points. Okay. Well, in fifth edition, it was winning. Let's see what it is in seventh edition. In addition to the care listed above, there are four ways to raise an investigator's current sanity points. Four. Wow. Let's find out. One, keeper award. At the end of a, of a successful scenario or campaign chapter, keepers may, may specify die rolls to increase investigators' current sanity points. Keeper award rolls are the same for all participants, but are rolled individually by players. Such rewards should be proportional to the danger the group faced. However, if the investigators were cowardly, brutal, or murderous, the <laughs> keeper may opt to reduce or remove the reward, especially oh, wow. if they wish to enforce a moral agenda. Now, everyone gets the same dice, say, in this case, 1d6, but everyone rolls their individual sanity increase. So it could be anywhere from 1 to 6 for each person. Increasing a skill to 90% awards 2d6 sanity points because competence breeds confidence. Once you are a master at something, that boost in your, con in your competence increases your confidence, therefore increases your sanity. You are, you now know you are more capable person. I love that. That's excellent. That, that was in fifth edition. Psychotherapy. Again, convincing yourself that it didn't happen will regain sanity points lost. 1d3 sanity. Just like we spoke earlier about whether you're institutionalized privately or publicly, you gain 1d3. After making a d100 roll for the doctor's psychoanalysis skill. And for self-help. Ah, two fours. Hey, I can read it. <laughs> All right. An investigator may choose to spend time with one entry. Uh, investigator may choose to spend time with one entry listed in their backstory, which could act as a form of psychological support. Clearly, this does not include me being able to scroll properly. 
phobias, manias, wounds. <laughs> so I can't, so I can't attach my of, alcoholism yeah, to make yeah. this. <laughs> yeah. The good stuff in your background, not the bad <laughs> stuff, the good stuff. Like for example, if in your background you have a wonderfully innocent, pious, and childlike younger sister whom you want to protect in between game sessions or game days or whatever, you would go visit her, take her to a picnic, take her to the zoo, read a book with her, stuff like that. That is considered helpful for this, for gaining back sanity. You are reconnecting with why you're putting yourself in danger, which make, gives you more mental fortitude to actually put yourself in danger. The player then makes a sanity roll. Keeper and players are encouraged to role play the scene to the point where it comes to a head and then make the sanity roll, role playing the outcome. If the roll is successful, the investigator gains 1d6 sanity points. If unsuccessful, one point is lost and the keeper and player should revise that aspect. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. Okay. Okay. This is a super double edged sword. So don't fail. If, if you make your sanity roll, your little sis gives you a boost of 1d6 sanity points. Good job, sis. But if you fail, I would say something like this. You look at your, you look at your little sister. She looks at you and smiles, but her face for a moment morphs into a, a replica of the ghoul that bit your finger off. Now your little sister is a little bit ruined. And what happens then? Thus, the religious retreat might result in a complete loss of religious faith or a family holiday might result in separation or divorce. You can no longer look at your little sister's face. You avert her gaze every time because every time you see her, you see the ghoul that bit you. Wow, that is harsh. Wow, this game creates backstory points just to screw with you. That's harsh, man. To be fair, uh, Forbidden Lands did that too. Yeah, yeah, but Dark yeah, Forbidden Lands supposed to be that rough. This is crazy. Each care, each investigator begins the game with one backstory entry that is especially important to them. This is their key connection. If the player chooses to use their investigator's key connection, they are granted a bonus die. Oh, okay. L little sis may, may be saved. A bonus die when making their sanity roll. In addition to the 1d6 sanity points gained for a successful roll, the investigator will recover from any indefinite insanity. If the sanity rolls fail, that aspect of the investigator's backstory is revised and the investigator no longer has that key connection. Okay, so it's not. But if you use your little sister and she's your key connection, not only do you regain sanity, you lose any indefinite insanity you might have because she's just that wholesome and purifying. I get that. That's cool. I can dig it. But I think that's where we're going to stop. Yeah, that's where we're going to stop because we are done with that chapter. Now, that is that is sanity. Now, I didn't do a complete read through on sanity. I'm sorry, but I didn't want to get mired in the mechanics I've done yet. I just wanted to show you what happens when you go through our second video of Cthulhu Mythos and how to deal with that as a player, how to role play it. Not to, not to adjudicate it as a keeper, but to role play it as a player and what to expect. What else do we have? Got some comments here. Going way back. Uh, played this edition once at a con. He liked it. it was fun. So he played seventh edition. I'm glad. Yeah, that's great. Uh, playing crazy is kind of tricky. It can be like Brad Pitt's character from 12 Monkeys, 
to yep. something way more serious depends on how much of the real world one gets exposed to. Yeah, it also it also depends on on advice from your keeper. Like 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 I said earlier, it's best the keeper do not roll random insanities, but choose one that's appropriate. Therefore, all you have to do is take that ball and run with it. It's a lot easier than trying to role play a random insanity. A lot easier. Shadowson asks, can you have an involuntary bowel movement? Yes, you can crap your pants. That is that is a, that is a complete uh, momentary loss of loss of control. You can crap yourself. In all of the crazy things that have happened, you know, between I because I hear people have had that happen with accidents or whatever. I've never once in my entire life felt the need to vomit, crap, or pee, <laughs> like like during a situation like that. Yeah, it's always no, boggled you know my yeah. mind. But but people have different I, reactions. So I get that. I mean, I I have I have you know, uh, felt the need to poop when I don't want to. That's called diarrhea. Everyone's had it at some <laughs> point or another. But uh, a traumatic event has never caused me to crap my pants or pass out or whatever. I've had some traumatic events that that in this book would cause a roll. But I've, it's none of, that, none of that's ever happened to me. But yeah. to be fair, most of the crap you're gonna you're gonna encounter in this book is not normal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it, it, if 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 I see a shambling mound in front of me and it screams, and I and I crap my pants, I'm not gonna cry foul. Like, oh no, no, I wouldn't cry foul. I'm just saying that you know, different people react to things differently. Yeah. So yeah, that's never been one for me. I'm the one that either starts laughing, <laughs> or gets really just blank face, just and go just completely robot. And just like, okay, what do we need to do right now? All right. Exactly. I go, just like, go. like nothing's happening around me. I just yep. have to focus. You know, you, you actually step out of yourself for a second and go hyper rational. Yeah. I've seen that. Well, I don't know if that situation counts, but it's similar. It's, it's similar. if you're talking about the one I think we're talking about, uh, uh, with the, with the, what's his name? I forget. Anyway. Uh, can your mythos skill exceed 99? No, right. uh, j just like in many other role playing games, Palladium included, you you cannot get above a ninety nine in uh, in Call of Cthulhu. You can't. But here's the rub: if you have a Mythos skill of ninety nine, your maximum sanity is one. One. You're not long for the gameplay. I'll tell you right now, <laughs> you're not. Your first interaction. Well, great game. Nope. Thanks. <laughs> Give me your character. <laughs> you hit zero. All right. Uh, mechanically, there needs to be some room for error in the role. Otherwise, the PC is retired as a nutcase or casually. I forget that what that is in reference to now. Oh, man. Okay, let me, let me try and break it down. Mechanically, there needs to be some room for error on the role. Otherwise, the PC is retired as a nutcase or casualty. I, I know when, when he mentioned that, I was like, oh, that was relevant at the time, but that was a long time ago. <laughs> oh, you forgot? Oh, damn it. Yeah, okay. I did. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Six Nations. We, we, we forgot the context of your comment. I'll save it there. So if he if he gets the context up before we finish these next ones, then we'll uh, go then back. We'll come to back to it. Definitely, definitely. Uh, so if my flapper, who studies Egyptology at the university, character comes into contact with a Cthulhu, can I just develop a morphine addiction and offset some of that insanity? That is well, the insanity. You'll develop, then. <laughs> a, you'll develop a morphine condition because that's your indefinite insanity yeah. due to your sanity loss. It won't gain you back sanity because it is the insanity. But it's your coping mechanism for having seen what you saw. And uh, to be fair, in the 1920s, morphine addiction was like uh, an, an Irish guy who says he's an alcoholic. It's it was kind of a given, you know, like whatever. 
Just right, drink so that laudanum, cl- you know, like whatever. It doesn't matter. He clarified, he said, is it with, uh, in regards to sanity above 99? Okay, you can't have a sanity above 99. Yeah. Maybe he meant the skill above 99. I don't know. Oh, the Cthulhu's, yeah, the mythos skill. But your grandma says, well, it seems that in the pre-chat with the players, you would explain death and insanity happens. Loss of player autonomy happens in this game because, you know, horror stories. Yeah. I, I hate that, but she's right. You know, I, <laughs> I know I, I, you're playing Call of Cthulhu unless you're doing it with a first time player that's never played a game before. 16 year old or something, you know what you're getting into. Yeah. And hell, man, if you read the book ju- for any amount of time that we have today, you should get it. You should get it that this this shit is going to have nuts in it and it's going to go sideways pretty fast. You got to hang on, buckle up and wear a helmet. I guess I relate this to like uh, D&D. I don't tell you that there are hold spells and charm spells in the game. And yes, I don't take them out. And no, it is not bad to use them. And I will use them. And But I don't have agency for my player or for my character. Right. It's it, it's a hold spell, dude. <laughs> you can no longer move. Sorry. You are Next charmed time. to do the succubus's bidding. Uh, yeah. For, for a, at least in this regard, you're an NPC. You can do everything else you want with your character, but in this regard, you want to serve her. So, you know. So do with that information as you will. Right. Or, right. I'm sorry, do with that information as you should. Yeah, th- there you go. Right, right. Yeah. And the last one I had is, uh, I like that memory alteration. Yeah, that is a neat one. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. That, that from my uh, from my memory, that was not in fifth edition, where where your your past can be rewritten because of traumas or your present. That's that's uh, I don't know if that's real. It probably is, but I, I like the mechanic. It's very people remembering things how they want to. Yes, I've seen traumatic events change people's memories uh, on things. So uh, yeah, uh, okay. All right. Wow, that was long. That was long. <laughs> so, uh, but. Three chapters done. Uh, some good stuff. Hopefully people got a lot of good information out of that. And uh, do you know what you're talking about next week? Uh, at least one week, of the segments? Yeah, at least one of the segments. Next week is... Oh, man, I had it right here. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Uh, chapters three, four, and five, which are... Oops, there it is. Uh, creating investigators, skills, and game system. Now we're going to go to the mechanics. Creating investigator and the skills and the mechanics of the game. Okay. There you go. Look forward to that next week. And uh, with that, we're going to move on to Aliens Unlimited. All right, yeah. That was longer than I thought it was going to be. With the with with the first segment, I thought, oh great, that was perfect. That was like a half hour, forty minutes, awesome. Second segment was like that one was a little longer, <laughs> and the third one was like, oh my god, please make this end. <laughs> well, it, it's funny because I, I remember again, I've been doing this for a while. Uh, when you got done with that second segment, it's like, oh, I guess there's not a lot of insanity. <laughs> I was wrong. Um, yeah, it it takes a moment to figure out. It's like the combat chapter. If you remember, anytime I did combat, even for Free League, which is a rules light ish game, that was the entire. That was everything. I didn't cover anything, and I think two of the times you were gone anyway, so I just had the entire stream and could talk about it. You know, but yeah, mm-hmm. those those were pretty long ones. Well, you'll you'll get that <laughs> down. Should add slides. <laughs>
no, slides no. slides don't fit with this specific format. Right, and he's literally doing a read through, a deep dive. Yeah. Like he's got the segment ones now. I'm doing the overviews. I'm the one that has the uh, the the notes and the slides now. So yeah, and the thing is, uh, even when he did the read throughs, it was never completely blind. He always read a little bit of it first. Yeah, that for me was completely blind. I have not read a word of this book. I I gauge oh. I, I gauge length of segment by number of pages and chapter headings. That's all I did. <laughs> And now that needs to be revised. <laughs> I'm going to have to tweak that. Which is, which is fine. Uh, I mean, it's going to push me into the late night tonight editing this stuff. But, you know, um, uh, uh, Conan, when we did Conan 2D20, that one I didn't read a lot of beforehand because <laughs> I had no interest. But, uh, yeah. But, yeah, the rest of them, he's right. I did either read them beforehand or I'd read them enough in the past where, okay, I, I know what I'm going to be talking about here. Coriolis was a little different also because I had read parts of Coriolis, but never in order. So, but, yeah, again, it's his first time. He'll get yeah. used to it. I'm a newbie. All right, for segment two today, I'm going to have, uh, well, three sections if you want to call it that three videos on this uh we're gonna talk about aliens unlimited uh the good news about aliens unlimited is there really isn't a lot of new and updated information it really just expands upon the alien uh power category that's what it's called in heroes unlimited and we're gonna see how it does that with an introduction here in just a moment we welcome all people regardless of background belief or identity to play tabletop role-playing games Let's engage our imaginations, pull a veil over reality, and immerse ourselves in fantastic worlds. Don't be a disruption at the table, and always remember, it's just a game. The charity we support is the Wounded Warrior Project, a national, nonpartisan organization whose mission is to honor and empower wounded warriors. Please refer to the description below for the link to where you can make your hopefully tax-deductible donation. Join us Thursday and Saturday evenings on twitch.tv slash Legion of Myth to watch Heathen Dog and his team of dirty casuals play multiplayer games for your mockery and enjoyment. Here on our YouTube channel, you can watch these game-related segments live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Central Time or check out the Friday Night Stream where our panel of guests opine, comment, and editorialize on the TTRPG hobby as a whole. Please leave us a comment with your thoughts and experiences. If you enjoy our gaming content, please be sure to subscribe to Legion of Myth. All right, there we go on the screen there. And hopefully I don't have the same problems Heathen Dog did. <laughs> so what we're going to talk about today in this uh, first one is we're just going to give an introduction to what is Aliens Unlimited. Hopefully I can read my notes here. I wrote them in really light pencil, so and I have really thick glasses. Um, all right. So really, like I said before, it is just a... Oh, hi. I, get, I didn't notice that before. Wait a second. This the PDF game, copy was signed? What? Look, okay, hold on. This is from Drive-Thru RPG. You can see the watermark down there. <laughs> so I did not steal this. And yes, apparently it was, uh, it was signed. So thanks. <laughs> thanks for signing the PDF. Uh, anywho. So the first thing that it does is, uh, as we go in here, it talks about running a galactic campaign. Now, not going to really read this. Okay, I, I have some notes that might be a, a little offensive here, but uh, 
if you're playing the the type of game where uh you're the alien trapped on earth i get that but to me just use the heroes unlimited book for that like i i don't know why you need all these extra aliens so forth for that unless you really just are trying to create something unique to me where the book shines and we'll get to that when i talk with adventure ideas but the, where the book shines is in creating your own galaxy in creating your own uh, uh empires and 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 aliens to me like an exploration game like a star trek and i'll get into more uh, into that a little bit here uh, but for a larger book the one of the things that i thought of with this book is that it's really it's got a dearth of information most of the stuff in this book are aliens like if we go to the to the uh table of contents here creating ca uh, alien character which again is just reiterated from heroes unlimited you still need heroes unlimited to understand what the eight attributes do okay but if you just want to create it step by step out of this book you can it's got a couple of new skills but just piloting spaceships we can see that in a second but uh gives you a, a plethora of new alien ideas and some alien weapons but over here these are all different alien races that are in this book starting with this amph amphibian race we're scrolling we're scrolling we're scrolling we're scroll okay then we got my oh, on this side we're scrolling you don't you don't need that many aliens in one book it gets like two of each would have been good enough but okay uh it says uh okay look through pages 17 through 18 so we're gonna do that okay or 7 through 18 so creating a character is the same uh basics as here's unlimited we're not going to stop on each section here but i want to see how it progresses so you can see how to make an alien character progresses through the steps so you're rolling your eight attributes again you're doing this with heroes unlimited you already should know what this is now it does talk about physical beauty and alien appearances like how can an alien have a physical beauty of 18 because it's not sexual beauty it's it includes everything from cuteness to oh i want to hang around that person it's more of a charisma concept than it is just physical beauty so uh there are chat uh, paragraphs in here where it explains that a little bit more so yes an alien can have a physical beauty of 19 kind of like people see puppies and kittens right so, oh it's so cute right exactly uh hit points in sdc because remember there are a lot of things that affect cuteness so to speak or physical beauty smells do things that smell good are things that people want to be around certain colors do you know etc so, uh natural arm rating now they do uh, do give a uh, comment here about riffs mega damage conversions we're not going to get into that but just know that yes this book is somewhat compatible with riffs as well uh is it uh, is that the one i want to read oh <laughs> no it isn't you can get uh now i don't remember if this is in heroes unlimited heathen dog can tell me uh if it was did they have bionic aliens yes okay mystic aliens aliens with robot characters i i thought that the aliens kind of had just their own thing where you could get some superpowers and that was about it well you no no it, there there was a random okay. role and some of them were weird some of them were weird like a, a psionic <laughs> alien you, you could have an alien with with all of his alien natural abilities so like if you grew up on an underwater world he's got gills yeah. whatever really right, right, right but that but that's not psionics but, but yeah I get with psionic powers or okay. or with with bionic implants you know the the role was in there yeah i don't remember that i'm not saying it wasn't there i just don't remember that so okay hmm. um skills and education now we have a little bit of different because you were theoretically in this game instead of taking skill programs from heroes unlimited here you were raised in outer space sure 
So now your role in general studies, or you could be a pilot, military specialist, and you know, on down the line here. So you have a little bit, little bit different background than you would say if you rolled directly out of Heroes Unlimited. And when I looked through them, I didn't find anything that stood out like, oh, this breaks the game, or this character is totally inept. Uh, the Rogue Smuggler, where's Rogue Smuggler? Rogue Smuggler, I kind of thought that that one was like, eh. It's 1d4 plus 3 rogue skills, 1d4 from espionage and two forms of communication. I can see that as being useful in more niche circumstances. I, I, when I looked at this, it was like the only one I didn't want to roll. But. I understand. I mean, it would be very, very useful in uh, if you have your own ship and, and the whole game is, the whole campaign is you're going from plant to plant, stuff like that. Investigative. Yeah. And like selling stuff, stealing stuff, you know, whatever. That, that'd be useful. I get it. Rounding out, uh, Lyman's hand-hand comet again. This is all based on your normal Heroes Unlimited. New skills, here we go. Space fighter, space transport, medium class, and large military vessels. Uh, now, this is where things get a little weird. Expanded alien ge uh, character generation. Again, we already covered aliens when it came to Heroes Unlimited. There right. are more things here, though. You really can't mix and match. You either roll out of Heroes Unlimited or you roll out of Aliens Unlimited. And I don't see why you wouldn't roll out of here if you were using this book to start with. So lots of more in-depth, nothing again, nothing game-breaking, but lots just more options that you'll find from based on Heroes Unlimited. Uh, demonic appearance. We should actually go ahead and roll percentile dice. Let's just give you, let's give you a oh, quick crap. appearance. If not, I've got them. Okay. Okay. Uh, I got a 52. So I rolled, not vegetation. Uh, humanoid skeletal. Now that it's my nightbane character. It's your nightbane character again. Jesus, man. And it fits me too. How many times did I play necromancers in games? Uh, Every time. Uh, so what does that give? Sunken eyes and cheeks, uh, very thin, long limbs, thin waist, bony hands and body, skin may be soft or warm to touch. Oh, sorry, warm or rough and hard like bone. The shape of the body does not have to be human. Oh, I can be an animal. It can be humanoid, animal-like or any of the general shapes noted on this table. No body here, but some may have hair in their heads. Bonuses, plus one to physical prowess, plus something, just plus to speed. Maybe it's like programming where the plus is, uh, that increases it by one. I don't know if you guys can see that there, but it's just plus to speed. I don't know if the book with the book says, I'm not going to open up. This might just be a PDF misprint. And as a horror factor of nine plus one, it is my Nightbane character. Yep. Uh, and, cannot, and the physical beauty can be no higher than eight. Yep. Because you're you're you're, you're a skeleton. You're yeah, you're you're a scary boy. Yeah. And there's nobody in the world that goes, oh look, it's a skeleton. It's cute. No, no. <laughs> so all right, let's uh scroll on down. Uh you've got your physiology uh here. We'll roll again just to do a quick I got it, I got it. Okay, got it. Go ahead, roll. 66. 66 you come from not a vegetation world a thermal world so this planet is the exact opposite of frozen world so you come from a place that's hot go ahead and roll again okay 33 33 you come from the cold upper latitudes though so oh. hey you're basically at human temperature temperature stay at near 110 fahrenheit for most of the year there you go i'm not going to read all all what this is here but you can get these more nuances than what uh again aliens uh the alien power category gave in Heroes Unlimited. Familiarity with Earth. Uh, I think that was in Heroes Unlimited, if I remember correctly. And reason for coming to Earth was as well. Money. You have equivalent equipment that you can sell or technology you have. But uh, if be careful if you have no familiarity with Earth. Right. Random oh, hang closing. On, hang on. 
uh, BioKiddo says, okay, but what if my skeleton has the high physical beauty superpower? Sorry. Eight. Guess you're not getting eight. that one. Eight is your, no, you can get it, but the benefit you won't get from that power is uh, physical beauty over eight. Hmm. You'll get an eight. Good job. That's it. I, yeah. I would just say the character doesn't get that superpower because it oh, doesn't yeah, match. But but yeah. you, seriously, but the, 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 the physical beauty superpower gives other abilities besides raw physical beauty, but your raw physical beauty is limited to eight because of your species. It's hard, hard maximum, but you get the other, the other bonuses of that power. All right, you can have a special alien weapon, laser rifle, laser pistol, so it does increase the, the, the types of artifacts you can come to Earth with. Ammunition, talked about it. Remember, this game also is predicated on the fact that, yes, you're probably on Earth, but it allows you, in the, in the next book that we talk about next week, uh, Galaxy Guide, we'll go way more into it, but uh, it's all, it also, uh, it's got this understanding that, hey, you're probably playing in space. So it's given you a few more things that you can start with that's a little more science fiction-y. And you can have a special vehicle. I rolled a special vehicle on here. What did I get? I got a hover platform. I think that's what... No, is it, is it the anti-grav disc or hover platform? I got one of those two. Uh, rounder square platform. This is it. Uh, four by four that comfortably supports two people. Maximum speed, 90 uh, miles per hour. Dude, you're just sitting on a square. You're like on, on a flying carpet. <laughs> just a, 90 miles an hour. Hold on tight. Sim sim salabim. <laughs> there you go. And that you can also, if you want to, there are a ton of alien races here. In the third video, I'm going to actually go through some of the alien races. Okay. And uh, and why they're important. As the next video is actually going to lead you up to them, like which ones are notable important. But it's got a whole ton of them from different types of worlds. I really believe that somebody just was like just had too much fun making all these different alien races and just decided to jam them in the book. Because, again, way too many of them. Uh, super abilities. Alien descriptions mention the more prominent types of super abilities exhibited by that race. In general, most of the superpower categories as found in Heroes Unlimited are available to an alien race. Specifically stated otherwise. So there you go. Uh, now, new rules. I'm not going to read through all these, but you can see that uh, you can get some bionics. You get magic. Isn't a lot of spells, but you know. Well, th those are new spells. It says list of new spells. Oh, that's that is true. They are new, yeah. Yeah, spells only for aliens. Yeah, breathable air. Like, hey, um, I breathe I'm methane. Earth world. is not made of methane. Yeah, <laughs> I need some of that. Uh, <laughs> I need a spell to just walk around and not die. All right. Uh, if I have time, weird guy, but I've got like seven that I'm already covering, but uh, we, we, we can check on that. Um, I mean, if everybody's talking about it, mutants, that seems weird I, that you play. A, what's that? Okay. That you'd be a mutant alien, but okay. Psionics, robotics, you know, again, if you're playing a science fiction game, it would make sense that, you know, aliens probably have some sort of robotics if they're, yeah. especially if they're floating around in space. Hell, but in Independence Day, they had robotic exoskeletons. I mean, come on. Right. Uh, all right. Let's see. What did I, what did I write for notes on here to make sure I'm covering everything that I'm supposed to? uh basically i said if you don't want to make your own alien you're lazy that's right <laughs> i don't care i'm saying it out loud if you use this chart right here either you eat no i will give one caveat to that if you are playing in this specific universe built given to you okay whatever but come on don't be lazy don't make an alien that's already there have be interesting make your own alien so 
the last thing that I'm going to talk about for this first part is uh, adventure ideas. And why am I doing that now and not later? Because I think this this book lends itself to saying, like, why do I need this book? Well, you could be an alien that crash landed on Earth. And the book actually kind of talks about how to do it. Now, so does Heroes Unlimited to some degree. But it talks about, hey, if you're an alien that crash landed on Earth, how integrated are you in with society? Here you go. Weapon, uh, reasons for coming to Earth remain unchanged. Okay, so it's not there. Uh, where is it? Reason for coming to Earth. Uh, Earth reminds him of home. And he was the last race of his people. I rolled something the other day. Oh, He's crash a time landed. Lord. What's that? He's a time lord. You know, I thought about that, but then I didn't want to get into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, so I, I, I removed that one. <laughs> I did, okay. actually, I used Doctor Who as a reference at one point. Uh, he can be an internet, intergalactic champion of justice. Came to Earth because Earth needs guidance. And his alien guidance obviously is better than us, especially if he has no familiarity with Earth. That would be awesome, right? Yeah. Uh, up here is assigned to Earth. Dang it. I got the butt old end of the galaxy. Exactly. <laughs> got this backwater piece of marble garbage. Jesus. But but there are a lot of reasons. If you're playing a strict Heroes Unlimited game and you're staying on Earth, it's still, you again, Heroes Unlimited gives you this, but this expands upon why the character would be here. Uh, so the alien crash lands. The uh, Yeah, crash lands on Earth needs to figure out how to get home. You got an ET situation going on. Or could decide to integrate. It's like, I want to get home, but you know what? I kind of like it here. And the character integrates in. You know, we were talking when Heathen Dog was doing his Call of Cthulhu stuff, we were talking about character growth. Well, that is a, a concept for character growth. Additionally, maybe the characters that he lumps up with here decide, wait, you're from space? We, there's stuff to do out there? Let's go. Yeah, let's fix your ship up and let's go. Let's go do this thing. So you can go either way with that. Sure. Uh, let's see. Uh, alien sees problems with Earth and wants to help. You know what? Your leadership isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing. Crap. Ah, it's time for some good old aliens to step in. Now, how is that going to be handled by Earth society? We'll talk about that in the in the next video. But uh, you know, could be doing it secretly behind the scenes. Maybe you know, joining a super group again. Theoretically, you're doing this with Heroes Unlimited, or you know, doing it on his own. You know, greasing some palms, deciding to move. You know, nudge things in certain directions. Uh, what, what was it, Mystery Men? I mean, Sylvester Stallone was an alien, so like, like maybe you know, he just some of our leaders be you know are are taken over by aliens, uh, and, and that all leads to interesting stories that you can that you can have. Now, it really depends on how prominent aliens are. Remember, the Heroes Unlimited world is an Earth that understands that superheroes exist. Is it also a world that understands that aliens exist? That's up to you and your game master. Uh, let's see. And then I said, screw that. <laughs> you have a book on aliens. And uh, why would you be doing that when you should be playing in space? So I was like, you can do, look, look at every Star Trek episode. You have a whole bunch of adventurous idea, ideas there. Or you can do a more Lost in Space, Battlestar Galactica type thing. Maybe you're on the SDF-1. You combine a little bit of Robotech, although that has mega damage, but a little bit of Robotech in with, uh, with Aliens Unlimited, poof, you're lost in space, and now you have to figure out how to get back, or maybe you find a new home, or maybe you explore. Turn this into a West Marches uh, concept in space. And now you're exploring. That's actually something I'm going to be doing at some point if I ever have time to continue writing. Um, got the Foundation series where, you know what, uh, 
there's a, there's an evil well yeah there's basically an evil empire out there and there are people with psychic powers who are brain foogling people and are you on the brain foogling side or are you on the side that says hey enough of that uh, you could do a stargate thing that keeps it on earth yeah or bases you on earth anyway well yeah bases you on Earth. right right that's i should set that way but it bases you on earth and now you're going out and finding alien races fighting maybe not the gold maybe it's a different monster of the week kind of like a supernatural yeah. thing you tie in you supernatural. can be a tilk yeah you too can be a tilk <laughs> or a uh an asgard that's really true. Uh, or uh they don't have i mean you could be a bully they got plant creatures and so forth you could be anything um so then it comes down to do you want to protect the galaxy uh do you want to be space pirates or merchants that's open to you now i would i would lean towards the merchant route but you know what villains unlimited is a book too you want to do survival and exploration uh, a military campaign against the arachnids reference 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 oh ballard's uh, ballard's 23rd century oh, oh, oh you know what yeah well Fair enough. Starship Troopers was a good one too. I was thinking Battlers, twenty third century, but yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, but you know, a good bug is a dead bug, and you're out there. You know, you don't want the bugs to come to Earth, and maybe Earth still doesn't want you to know aliens exist. So they send you out there. Hey, uh, yeah, join forces with these weirdos. Uh, just don't bring them back here, okay? We don't want the bugs here. You can come up with many, many, many ideas. There's a lot of science fiction TV shows out there. And it also depends on how eclectic your group is. Is your group all aliens or are you the only alien? Is it all a type of alien or are you all anything goes? Or you just use this book to make NPC villain aliens. Or you just make this book to make NPC villain aliens and bump up their power a bit. I would. I So, so okay, this is me. I'm not saying you should do this. I use books like this and books like, actually, I use a lot of Rifts material for my After the Bomb games. So I would use something like this and have it effectively rifted into After the Bomb. And then they fight it. Now, I'd make it more powerful because, what's the, you know, if you've got six characters in the group and basically this is just one other character, eh, it's going to go down pretty quickly. But you make it more powerful or you add more of them. Now you got yourself a... Uh, a, st a potential story because if they get away if they win now they're infesting your planet or whatever you want to do so uh that's just a quick introduction there really wasn't a lot in this book it was just character creation and uh how to make a ton of aliens the ne the next video though we're going to talk about something a little more which are they're not really secret societies but they're the organizations there are, there are human watch groups, and then there are galactic organizations, and that's going to be the crux of the next video, where it's like really the only meat in this book outside of make an alien, here are the aliens. So do you have any, anything starred? Ket, can you get off my yes, table, please? This is a, the request you're talking about from France. Uh, aliens, I'm going to make sure you check out the Ryan Thors on page 170. Palladium's take on the, uh, the Predators from the 1980s movie of the same name. Let's take a look at that real quickly. Well, what, why don't we take a look with the PDF? Okay. Well, that, because I'm going to do that in segment three. Okay. We can take a oh. look at them. 170. I, I, let, me write, let me write that down because I have the other aliens written down with their page numbers. So anything else? Uh, yes. We have uh, Kukushoku says uh, all those planets are and races. There's so much good stuff in Aliens Limited. But uh, the, the, way, the way he's saying it is the way you are saying it. it it, it this this book more shines in the idea of having some kind of interstellar or galactic campaign it, it shines with 
options. Like it gives you like if you're right. I don't want to have a boring alien. I want I want something interesting. Oh my god, creating aliens out of this if that if you enjoy that or if that's your thing or if that's what you need, this book is a godsend for you. What it's lacking though is everything that we're going to talk about next week, which is in the Galaxy Guide. <laughs> and, mm. and I just personally, they, again, I, I'm not complaining. I just personally felt this book could have been a quarter of the size. They could have merged it with the Galaxy Guide, and you'd have had one book that had everything you needed instead of two books. I just think there are too many aliens in here. And that's the difference between this and After the Bomb. After the Bomb, you need all those animals because you have all those different types of animals you can play. Here, these are just like, these aren't all things. Those are all example aliens. Yeah, there you go. Could you use them all? Yes. Are you going to? No. no. <laughs> then we have uh, Six Nations. Pigs in space. That's, what, that's what, and that's what so many people are calling my my after the bomb aliens unlimited uh, hybrid game that I'm putting together. That's what they're calling it, pigs in space. I swear to God, if the characters all make pigs, I'm going to either cry or laugh, and I don't know which one. <laughs> or both. Or both. Or you, you may spontaneously poop yourself. <laughs> so, Jason Holm, I, I, I grant you that, but I think it's because it's cinematic play. Yeah. Uh, that, is, that is a complaint that a lot of people have on almost every sci-fi game. You know, Battle Lords being a slight difference in that, but most sci-fi games do that because it's something our brains can wrap around and we can play characters like that. I, I yeah, get what you're saying, but... I mean, when you make your own alien, throw an extra limb or less. I don't know. Do it. Yeah, I mean, playing an, how would you play an amoeba monster without adding in new rules? Again, the Matsians of Battlers 23rd Century, they, they do it. I, I get yeah. that. Yeah, but, it, it can be done, but can it be done with the current existing rule set? And, and without a lot of work. Now, if you're willing to yeah. do, put the effort into it, honestly, you can easily, you could do it. You just have to like, okay, what's going to be the uh, the physical prowess negative here? Uh, what's it going to have for SDC? You know, what kind of skills can it have? Can it have skills? You know, if, if you want to take the time to figure all that out, this book can still you can still do that. So. Cool. That's um. Oh, you know that's what? Uh, that's all I have for this one. So remember, in the next video, we are going to uh, so we're going to talk about uh, the secret society. I keep calling it the alien watch groups and intergalactic organizations. But before then, I got a little announcement, and it's going to okay. pop up on the screen, and it's going to we're going to we're going to do this differently. I'm going to put uh, this up first. Look at that. Embark on an epic journey with Palladium Megaverse fans on Gilded. Whether you're battling through the chaos of rifts or unveiling mysteries in the science horror of splicers, Palladium Megaverse Fans is your portal to endless adventures. Share your Palladium tales, characters, and campaigns. Exchange strategies, delve into rich lore, and showcase your creative genius with fellow enthusiasts. Join now, click the link in the description, and let the saga begin. And with that, like, subscribe, and share. I got too many things on here to click. Wrong button. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what that was. Wrong button. All right. Uh, let's get uh, ready for the second one. There we go. All right. For the second part of segment two, talked about, uh, went over, did the overview of what you'll find in the book. Basically showed off that it has, you know, expanded character creation, expanded aliens. But when aliens come to Earth, people feel ways about things about that. Some like them. Some don't like them. Also, since it is a wider galaxy, 
there are going to be federations and entities and organizations and conglomerates out there that uh, may or may not partake in using Earth as a uh, as a location of sorts. And we're going to talk about that here in just a moment. The best tabletop RPG groups follow these core values to respect the campaign setting, the game, and the people at the table. Refer to the URL in the video's description to donate to the charity we support, The Wounded Warrior Project. Sunday on Rumble and YouTube, we provide tabletop RPG game, system, and setting overviews. Then on Friday, a panel of guests editorialize on the TTRPG hobby as a whole. Thursdays and Saturdays are when Heathen Dog leads his Dirty Casuals video game squad on twitch.tv slash legionofmyth. Please like and share this video with your friends and on social media, and subscribe to Legion of Myth for more tabletop RPG content. All right, there we go. There's our cover again. Again, I feel like somebody just ripped off the cover and scanned in all the pages. Yeah. Hey, you know what? There we go. That, that's how you put it up on drive-thru. <laughs> okay, so we're going to start on page. I didn't write the page number, so we'll look at it uh, here. We're going to start at, uh, at the races. I can't see that. Super ability, Alien Watch Groups, page 24. So I'm guessing more like 27. Here we go. Oh, no, we were way before that. Alien Watch Groups, all right. So take a look at this first paragraph here. Since the 1940s, there's been a significant increase in reports of UFO sightings and abductions around the world. It's always aliens. Fearful and expectant, people have been watching the skies and looking for answers. From average civilians and professional astronomers to religious cultists and world governments, humans have been waiting for proof that intelligent alien beings have been visiting our planet. However, the answer to that question only creates new ones. Who are they? What do they want? Are they friends or foes? We've seen V. We know. They're lizard people from Sirius. And so on. <laughs> bastards. <laughs> right? Mousey. Uh, see, love that scene. Uh, as, as a result, numerous organizations have been established to get the answers to these questions or protect Earth from the alien threat. Each of these groups has its own goals and agendas. Whether they are friend or foe to the alien visitors, often hard to determine. Many of them operated by zealots and fanatics. I don't think I um, found one that wasn't. Uh, thank you for the gifting of the membership. Who do you, remember, who do you gift it to? uh icebox 551 anthony who i've never seen before so uh hope to see you again because you're a member <laughs> there you go you get access to the members okay. only videos and i'm not going to read it but this paragraph here basically says hey um you're playing on a, on a world of of superheroes superheroes are known so it's not too far out of the realm of existence that may, maybe aliens exist as well yeah, no, no one's gonna freak out because you're an alien. Because yesterday they they saw Iron Man and the Avengers flying through fighting aliens. So, you know what, you're you're okay. There, there's a side note to that though. They might not like the fact that aliens are here though. Like at least Iron Man's human. Fair. An alien? Uh, what 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 you want? Yeah, why are you here, Mister Alien, sir? So the first organization we're gonna talk about is Project Taiki. And uh, so its mission is to keep aliens away from U.S. citizens. It's a, it's a United States... Actually, I was supposed to read the first paragraph here, but Project Taiki is the current incarnation of the Air Force's... It'd probably now be Space Force's... Uh, UFO Investigation Operations. The name comes from an old goddess of good fortune who is supposedly beautiful, yet an outsider in her own pantheon. 
It was chosen because the government considers aliens to be potential godsends of good fortune, but most are definitely mysterious outsiders with unknown or questionable motives. Now, that's putting it nicely. Project Taiki are not the good guys in this one. We'll get to the good guys in a moment. There are kind of two sides to this. Um, their, their mission is to keep aliens away from humans. Uh, they hunt, capture, and bring them to Area 51. For, for a spa, for relaxation. For, right? for spa treatments, yes. Um, now, their public relations, though, is pretty good. Because they know how to be prepared with a cover story and keep people calm and comforted. That was obviously an evil alien that we went after doesn't matter that it looked benign to you no 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 it was getting into your brain and it was putting oil into the ground and it was uh carcinogens like it breathes carcinogens we had we had to remove it but you're safe now everything's good doot, doot, doot. yep we tested the area everything is good to go uh their, their whole reason for existing though is to uh ferret out i cannot read my own writing oh ferret out signs of aliens in, in, uh, that have uh, introduced themselves into society. So if Heathen Dog is a hidden alien, it's kind of like Mystery Men. We're going we're gonna to find you. We're going to know who you are. And we're going to catalog you. So Pro Project Taiki, they're, they're, they're kind of the aggressors. This guy is the dude in charge of it. Uh, just all you have to do is look at his alignment and you're going to know what... Uh, is it? <laughs> Diabolic. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, hang on, people. Hang on. As far as government or, you know, empire entities go, the alignment of the leader doesn't mean everything. That is true. Because the most evil people, psychopaths in the world were amazing businessmen and political leaders who brought great prosperity to their people. Also, there's just as many who did the other thing who brought down their their government and had everyone killed because of their because of their evil ambitions. So it's not this dude is a true believer. He believes that aliens are a threat to humanity. Okay. Now, he might not be wrong. So, the next one here is Project Secure. This is kind of the other side of the fence. I wouldn't call them necessarily good guys, but they're not trying to off all the aliens. Uh, I got it. Next time I'm doing this on there, so I can read it. Uh, oh, my note for this is this is Colonel Mayborn from Star uh, Stargate. Oh, okay, 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 okay. I get it. I get it. I get it. So, uh, they catalog, secure, and transport aliens and alien tech. They have a rocky relationship with Project Taiki, yet they're theoretically on the same side. Remember, Project Taiki is part of the Air Force. This is more of the NSA. So a uh, different portion of the government. Uh, they interrogate aliens and they study alien tech. Now, the cool thing is about this is they actually try to make the aliens feel comfortable. They're right. like, look, man, you've got a choice. Work with, you know, you, you're either with us or against us. Yeah. You know and, what? Here, here's some tea. Here's a scone. Think yeah. about it. You got five minutes. Well, the, the, the aliens are treated humanely. But at the same time, they don't necessarily want them out there, uh, you know, amongst society. Uh, da -da -da -da, Project Taiki believes aliens are dangerous. Project Secure tries to acclimate aliens to our benefit. That's kind of the big difference between the two. So this weirdo, it's like, uh, kill them all, let, uh, he let humanity sort them out. There's like, you know, we could probably get some things from them. If we treat them nice, they might want to help us out. Yeah. Warp drive would be cool. Artificial gravity. You got that? Oh, sweet. Can we trade? 
I got a I got a rookie baseball card of Babe Ruth. You want that? No. Oh, I'm gonna read this a oh, little man. Part he here. looks like a super corrupt politician. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> yes, he does. That Who can't tie one. a tie? Jesus Christ! What is that? A pillow? God damn, man! <laughs> well, it depends. Learn well, how to do be... a double Windsor like a man. It could, well, as you say, it could be a double Windsor. Double Windsors are fatter, but yeah. Anyway. Yes, but they're also d- more definely shaped than just a puff of bullshit on your. Well, neck. yeah, that's true. They, they're tr- nice triangle. Yeah. yeah. All right, Game Master's note: the vast variety of skilled personnel involved in the alien investigation and processing procedures under both Project Taiki and Project Secure provides a great environment to get a group of player characters together. Human and alien, super spy and super power. The conflicts between agencies, Taiki and Secure, are also excellent vehicles for subplots, espionage, intrigue, treachery, and battle. Now, do you see why I'm reading this paragraph? Giving mm-hmm. you some ideas out there. Likewise, player groups who have an alien or suspected alien may be placed under surveillance by one or both groups. Oh, look at that. More adventure ideas. At some point, Project Taiki or Project Secure may question the characters, arrest, capture the suspected, suspected, notice that, suspected aliens, ask him or her to undergo AAP, I forget what that means, uh, make them work for them or be neutralized. Any heroes who try to protect or hide the alien threat, especially mutants, other aliens, and vigilantes, will be regarded as criminals, traitors, spies, or a threat to national security. That's more tyke than than secure, but yeah. They may be hunted, attacked, placed under arrest, imprisoned, interrogated, indoctrinated, and or neutralized. So that just gives an idea of like, again, these two are not buddies, but they, they think they have the same goals. They do share some information, but they also have their own personal biases against each other as well all right and we're not going to talk about the lockdown teams uh there are some super powered people who go after aliens sure uh okay now we have those are those are governmental organizations now we have civilian organizations and the big one is triton industries now triton industries was about to go out of business so to speak he's bankrupt and then somehow he developed a weird new laser. <laughs> I wonder how. Yeah, exactly. How how could that have happened? So, uh, so oh, Stargate again. The trust. The trust. Oh yeah. Wow. What year was this book written? <laughs> ninety four. The first one was in ninety four. So that was before start. Well, before the trust. Anyway. Right. 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 Uh, so now Titan Industries or Triton Industries, sorry, is known for working with Project Taiki to protect the U.S. citizens from hostile aliens. Part of that could be because he wants all the tech. I'm just saying. (laughs) Why should somebody else get it when I could get it? And, uh, oh, in uh, in Blaine Lee Pardo's new uh, novels, it's it's kind of Battletech-ish, Land and Sea. I can't remember the Elon Musk characters. I know Dana Blaze is the reporter that works for him, but I cannot remember his name right now. But if anybody remembers that name, knows that, this is it right here. Triton Industries is that guy, if I can remember his stupid name. Um, the owner of Triton Industries discovered and hid an alien who crashed. Okay. Like, hey, baby, how about this? Work for me? And, you know, I'll be rich. They ended up not only liking each other, but falling in love. I'm in love with an alien. Uh, he played upon the suspicion and animosity between Taiki and Secure uh, to procure artifacts. I cannot read my own writing. 
To rever- oh, to reverse, yeah, to, to reverse engineer the artifacts. So he works between two. He's like, hey, man, if you give this to me, I can work it out and we can we can help each other out. Or with that thing needs to be neutralized. But the only way I can neutralize that is if you hook me up with the weapon that it came with or that technology that it came with. Or So they're playing both sides with regard to that. If it goes with it safely, I have to know how it works or yep. else it may explode. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, I already said built trust and uh, love with the with the alien. Uh, Drake, what's that? Gaming with ADHD says his name is Drake, but he can't remember his Drake. Can't remember his first Drake, name. yeah, yeah, no, you're you're right, you're right, you're, you're Drake. That that was his name. Yeah, this guy is Drake. Uh, so for people who read that novel series, you should pick it up. You should read it. It's a good one. Um, captured aliens have a choice: work with us or die. And he follows through with either choice. Okay, he's at least honest about that. And uh, it says, uh, look at page 40 for the items. Okay, I'll look at page 40 for the items. Do-do-do, that's 35. I don't know, man. I don't know. He, I, he I don't know. He, he's, got, he's got a popped collar. I don't know. He looks like a frat bro. Yeah. He was a frat bro. I don't know, man. He's not Tony Stark in me, you know? No. And, and his alignment is aberrant. So oh, yeah, it has to be. A, you have to be. To, to, to be... To be uh, a CEO and a powerhouse at this level, you can't be good. This is his alien girlfriend. Sure. Sure. Dressed up in her battle armor. Uh, those are the bad guys. And where's page 40? Okay. So some things that they've come up with, they've come up with body armor, all weathered environmental suits, recoil, diminishing exoskeleton. Mark three, I'm not going to read them all off, but, uh, uh, the tri multi-cal rifle. Uh, so Triton Industries Triumphant Assault Rifle Technology is a multi-cal rifle. It's a dual-purpose weapon designed for, designed for, excuse me, designed for SWAT and other tactical uses. Has an over-under dual-barrel assembly. The top barrel can fire a, a variety of rifle cartridges. 7mm, 7.5mm, 7.62, 7.65. So you've got a whole range of stuff you can shoot through that thing. The bottom is a 12-gauge shotgun. So anyway, the, the thing is, why is that important? Hey, I can find better ammo or new ammo or that guy's ammo. Yeah, for for uh, for, you know, army or SWAT, you know, you don't have to bring as much ammo. You can take whatever ammo you get from the kills you make and make it work. The enemy brought your ammo for you. How nice of them. And a bunch of different weapons and ammunition that you see here. And was it the best for one? All environment, oh my God, all environment suit based on designs of the suit Shatter Brittany, where Brittany is the, is the alien, uh, right. when she was first discovered. The suit has not been made available on the open market or to the military, but it still costs $350,000. So I don't know. You have to work directly with him. So anyway, you get the idea. Uh, it, it, He's got technology, he's given it out, and he's playing the two organizations, get them to, or just trying to get there first. Mm-hmm. So Then we got Reach Up. Reach Up is, uh, we love the aliens. These are the people that in Mars Attack wanted to join them before they got lasered. <sighs> Shock. Uh, what does this stand for? Superhuman Observation and Control Knights. Okay, I want to smack the person who decided that was the way to get an acronym for shock. You know, you know what people do is they do the acronym first and they try to force. <laughs> exactly. Yes. It's the same thing with shield. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, what are my notes? Okay. So 
Oh, uh, all right. So what shock calls its campaigns? Oh, this is that's right. These are the human supremacists. You're human or nothing. They don't like mutants experiment. They don't like anything. So what shock calls its campaigns of purity are actually trials of terrorism and genocide. Their well, standard it depends. Potato, potato, whatever. <laughs> their standard tactic is to locate and identify any abnormal person and make an appearance in their imposing armor. A warning shot is fired very close, within inches, centimeters to the target. A camera in the armor records the shot to prove that it was not an attack. To the target, oh. it will appear very much like an attack. If yeah. the target... If the target subject retaliates using unnatural powers, shock attacks with deadly force, claiming that the person was violent and dangerous, non-human villain. That is so stretched. That taffy broke a long time ago. I don't, <laughs> I don't see that as working. If the t well, so there is a key, key phrase in there. If the target uh, subject retaliates using unnatural powers, this isn't like shoots back. Hmm. This is using like, you know, I zap you with lightning. I go lulululu and things fall apart, whatever. This is, you know, because again, they're human purists. If you shoot back at them, no big deal. But if you hand blast them, we got a problem because you're a violent mutant. If the target of the assault does not attack, he's told he won't be killed if he comes with them peacefully. If the person agrees to go, he'll be brainwashed into forgetting he has unnatural powers. Shock has mages with spells specifically designed for this task. An implanted suggestion will make the person call shock for help if he ever accidentally finds his powers again. So, okay. um, yeah, so you, you get who they are. They're, they're definitely uh, human, human racist, human purist, however you want to see that. Uh, they're against mutants, anything not normal. And they have the public support because of how their training and tactics work. What does it say? It says, uh, oh yeah, they, they're definitely seen as healers, or, uh, helpers, and protectors. Because they always get the mutant, the alien, whatever, to act irrationally because of their crazy tactics. Actually, I think fighting back with, with, with whatever deadly force you have when, when someone shot you within centimeters of your face is sane. Completely rational thing to do. Well, it was a dangerous alien that we had to stop. Look, we showed that it was dangerous. Yeah, and it was we, the dangerous bullet that almost killed me. <laughs> uh, that's that's fake news. Oh, all right, all right, all right. You can deep fake that one out easily. Sure. <laughs> uh, so anyway, this Michael Andrews guy is the leader of Shock. What's his? Uh, I didn't actually look. What is his alignment? Alignment effectively at? Oh, <laughs> okay. He fears and uh, his fears and righteousness blind him from the truth. Fuels his hatred and destroys capability for compassion regards to non-humans. So basically he's a nice guy, except for if you're not human. Right. So I think it's special equipment. All right, let's, uh, let's look at the alien uh, stuff. Wow. So galactic organizations. Now these are the ones that are out there. So we're switching tone here from these. So those are the Earth Watch groups that, hey, aliens are coming here. Now you're floating around in space. You decide you want to you know, buzz around. You've taken this out of the solar system into the greater galaxy at large. And the first one we're going to talk about are the Antorian Empire. What is the Antorian Empire? It's a, it's, what is it called? A gynol... It's, it's a matriarch. It's run by women. It is the strongest, most powerful entity in the galaxy at this point. In the Milky Way, anyway. Oh, yeah, gy gynarchy. I've never heard the word before, but yeah, women ruled. Uh, it's ruled by six empresses and all of their ships. So if there's a ship in this game, which we'll mm -hmm. see next week, 
because there aren't in this book. That's in the next book. Um, it's automatically 10 to 25, 10 to 20% stronger in SDC armaments and so forth. They're, they build better stuff. Uh, Ruled by, yeah, I said that. And, oh, and robots always have max SDC and armor rating for their types. So they're technologically more powerful than anybody else. And you can see that stuff. If you're looking for the paragraph, you can see that stuff right there. They look like Earth humans, except their hair is always white, gray, or silvery and grows in a strange pattern. And we're going to look at the race a little bit later. Or actually, in the next video. The Federation of Allied Races, FAR. Uh, these people are wussies. They're, they're scared. They're scared. They're scared folks who've decided, like, we don't want to be picked on. These are the nerds that have gathered together to not be picked on anymore. Yeah. All right. They so can't put us all in lockers. Right. Um, <laughs> critics of the group called a paper tiger of empty threats that could really do nothing but slow the Antorians down. Now, what the truth is, eh, you can figure that out in your own game. But they're, they're not well respected. The Niamese Coalition, founded by a race that uh, we'll talk about in the next video. The was it the Netari? Niamese, if you please. Yeah, I know. I did that too. <laughs> we are Niamese, if you don't please. Um. All right, <laughs> I forgot what I was going to say here. Uh, so anyway, their underground guerrilla operation against the Antarian Empire, but it's a political campaign, not an all-out war, because anybody who goes against the Antarian, am I saying that right, Antarian? Antorian would get crushed. Yeah. So they're like the fifth column. Well, no, because that's internal. They're they're the underground. They do guerrilla ops. They're not quite on the radar yet. They're known about. They're considered a nuisance, but that's kind of where it's where it's left at for the time being. Uh, they smuggle empire slaves to safety. That's one of the things that they're known for. So if you want to have an adventure hook, you could play part of the Niamese coalition, and you know start freeing some slaves. And they're not serious enough to be targeted for all-out extermination yet. Oh, where is it? Uh, there we go. The Taganiglomerate. Mm. Words, man. Words. The galaxy's single largest company is the Taganiglomerate. Yeah. Taganiglomerate, or TGE. It produces nearly 9% of the galaxy's mass market technical goods and is a political entity unto itself. It is owned and run by Tegnosian aliens and employs almost 65% of that race, as well as millions of aliens from other worlds. TGE produces literally everything from laser pistols and exoskeletons to hover cars and computer chips. So they run space stations. They rep uh, they handle repair and mining. They do a lot of medical. So it's like the internet, the intergalactic version of Daewoo, <laughs> or Sony, or yeah, yeah. Um, they they do everything. Um, they do dominate manufacturing of spacecraft, spaceship weapons, and shielding materials. They have a large security force, larger than most planetary militaries. And uh, what does it say? Oh, they oh, they have a boycott right now of the Altorian Empire due to a loss of a com uh, sorry a contract generations ago. So, so they hold a grudge. They they have held a grudge, and you know they're not taken out because they're everywhere. You can't get you cannot go through the galaxy without running into their stuff. By Menon. <laughs> All right. And then the Cisra, Cisra Mycene 
cooperative. So what are they? They're, they're the, uh, the Galactic Police Force. So they explore, uh, sorry, they enforce laws, protect planets, protect you from pirates. They come on in. They're, they're like uh, marshals or the Mounties of the galaxy. Hmm. Babylon 5 Rangers. Okay, Babylon 5 Rangers. Uh, they're, like, uh, they're compared to the space FBI or CIA. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, what's interesting is uh, the Thysras make up 17%, the Mycenaeans make up 20%. The other is 53%, obviously, if you do the math on that. And what does that mean? Did I do that math right? 20, oh, I think I'm 10% off, but whatever. Um, it means that they have an incredible range of technology to fall back on. It's not just their own personal from many different cultures that, yes. that comprise their their organization yes yes so i didn't really get into space pirates we don't care uh space pirates are out there to make your day hell uh, you shouldn't be joining one if you're playing a character so i'm not going to talk about them but, but you uh, get to look like that but you sure you get to look like that if that's what you want to <laughs> uh and so the next thing the next video we're going to end the series uh this overview talking about alien races there's one that uh the folks in chat requested and then we're going to talk about each of the ones that we just covered we're going to talk about the antorians we're going to talk about the the syrians etc etc and we're going to look at what each one of those are since if you're playing in this universe you're probably going to come across one at some point and then we'll just scroll through and show you that they're like what 100 pages of just aliens any questions comments concerns oh, from no, chat? I, I have something i gotta show you it's fun this okay. is the uh uh, where cpk gifted a legion of myth membership that's awesome thank you but then he came back and said this oh <laughs> well, <laughs> well that person appreciates your membership and yeah. so do we yours and his membership i already forgot the person's name it is a happy accident that you you just you just helped an old lady across the street sure it, it costs you five bucks but you know what hey you're gonna say no to that old lady no you're fine <laughs> so nothing else no all right well we'd like you to like subscribe and share and of course you know if you want to talk about aliens unlimited we have a gilded server very similar to discord i will i will do it this way again because it worked well last time i'll put that little blurb up there so you can find our gilded server and talk with other palladium megaverse enthusiasts like yourself join us at palladium megaverse fans on gilded Visit the link in the description to share your Palladium Megaverse tales, tips, and tricks. Palladium Megaverse fans, where every adventure is legendary. Get the right image back up. Nope, that's yours. There we go, that's mine. Alright, for the last part of... The overview of Aliens Unlimited, we are going to look at some of the aliens in the book, most notably the ones that were part of the empires and organizations that we talked about in the last video, plus one that uh, uh, the chat wanted, demanded, demanded that uh, we talk about. So uh, we'll take a look at that and then we'll scroll through some others and then just talk generally about the different types of aliens that are in the universe and maybe, maybe what you might find is lacking. The best tabletop RPG groups follow these core values to respect the campaign setting, the game, and the people at the table. Refer to the URL in the video's description to donate to the charity we support, The Wounded Warrior Project. Sunday on Rumble and YouTube, we provide tabletop RPG game, system, and setting overviews. 
Then on Friday, a panel of guests editorialize on the TTRPG hobby as a whole. Thursdays and Saturdays are when Heathen Dog leads his Dirty Casuals video game squad on twitch.tv slash legionofmyth. Please like and share this video with your friends and on social media, and subscribe to Legion of Myth for more tabletop RPG content. All right, there we go. Once again, with our Aliens Unlimited cover, what was I on page? Was it 47? Uh, somewhere. Oh, nope. I was way off. We'll scroll. No, those are aliens, right? No, that's the catalog aliens. of aliens. Here we are. Yep. So I have the pages written down here. So that's 52, 51. So we're only off by one page. That's good. So we're going to start with page 63. No, we're not. We're going to start with the Altorians. So that's page 108 or 109 here. All right. Altorians. I keep saying the name wrong because uh, I'm an idiot. They appear to be humans. There you go. Kind of look humanish right there. Looks like 1980s. Uh, <laughs> dye that hair purple. And uh, it's it's a futuristic heavy metal. Yeah. Yeah, Atorians appear to be humans. The only obvious physical difference, the growth patterns of their hair, which only grows in certain patterns, not over their entire head like Earthlings. Predominant growth pattern has a single path down the middle of the head. I don't need to read all this. But uh, the Atorian society is a gynarchal. It's woman ruled. The males have been relegated to servants and slaves used for manual labor. That, nobody wants to join that empire. Entertainment and reproduction. I'm joining the empire. Full details on the Atorian empire. What's that? <laughs> snoo snoo. <laughs> snoo snoo. Yeah, there you go. Snoo snoo. But they're not giants, right? Oh, uh, yeah. So anyway, full details on the Atorian Empire, its allies, equipment, and other aspects will be given. So let's let's look at what they get. If I'm going to play in Atorian, so it's basic. Uh, okay, so 3d6 across. Oh, physical strength is 46. So that means they're a little stronger than humans. Yep. And that's about it. 3d6 times Time three. three speed they're super fast but this is heroes unlimited type palladium so that's just raw running power that doesn't actually give anything else right right well the only game that i know that it does give bonus to is tmnt yeah i don't know of any other game that does give speed as a bonus or anything but yeah but that's still times three that's, that's fast. yeah they're they're really fast uh, standard, uh, so hit points are standard. Okay, SDC is 2d4 times 10 plus. That's a lot of SDC. That's a lot. That's a lot. Usually it's between 20 and 50 for alien races at base. This is 2d4 times 10. Yeah. That's, that's a lot. So you're not going to want to fight one. Not, 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 not mano a mano. <laughs> Let me phrase it. Not average person versus average Atorian. Uh, super abilities. Satorians are almost never born with super abilities. Well, that's helpful. Any female who does have exceptional powers will be given status and training from birth to best utilize her abilities for the Empire. Well, at least they don't murder them. Yeah. A male who exhibits super abilities will command a very high price at auction because of his genetic structure and breeding potential. <laughs> this lack of lack of natural uh, this lack of naturally occurring super abilities the pdf did not scan well there but it does not mean they do not exist in the empire their advanced technological capabilities include genetic and other experimental programs that instill psionics and super abilities so okay. you, you can look at what the uh, we're not gonna again we're not reading this word for word here but so you get an idea of who they are and you know they are stronger they live longer they're i mean generally they're better than a standard human yeah sure sure so okay what was the next we looked at far but it didn't say who ran them so the next empire was oh the tag the the conglomerate so that's page 81 so who runs this conglomerate 
Well, it's a tag. <laughs> having the same problem here that you were having in uh, Call of Cthulhu. Tagonicans. Uh, yeah. Tagon okay. Tagonicans. There you go. Tagonicans are squat people from the tropical latitudes of an otherwise cold planet called Agaka. Bodies are covered in tiny feathers that cling closely to the body. So they look like a bird. Yeah, they kind of look like a bird. So this is, I'm sure this oh, is an no, it's a penguin. Just like a penguin. It's like an a avian race. Uh, all right. From a distance, they cannot even be recognized as feathers. The colors of the plumage range from light blue to blue gray with white on the alien's front underside. Oh, so they're okay. Penguins. So they're gray penguin, blue penguins. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, there we go. They're inquisitive people. Yeah, whatever. So let's see what they get. Oh, Tagonicans, you were right. All right. I looked out. I mean, I, af after that whole Cthulhu nonsense, I had to get a win. <laughs> IQ 3D6 plus six. That's really good. Now, here's a question for you. Hmm. Do you now, if you roll 46 in Heroes Unlimited, you only get one D6 bonus, and that's only if you roll as a 24 on the dot? No, no, no. I'm sorry. I got that backward. You, you only get to roll an extra D6 if, you, if you're rolling two D6 and you roll a 12. You get 1d6 bonus. The 3d6 bonus comes if you roll 16, 17, or 18, and you get a d6 bonus on top of that if you're human. Does a 3d6 plus 6 give you an extra d6 bonus if you roll that 16, 17, or 18? I don't know. I would, my, my reflex is to say no, because it would be super easy to roll a 16 or higher on this. Well, no, if you get a natural, I should say a natural 16 on the 3d6. That that I should have said it that way. Oh, okay, 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 okay. You know what? That mm, I don't know. My first, still, still, my my first impulse is saying no. Screw you. you okay, which I'm I'm strangely on the opposite side of this one, only because it says three d six plus six and not forty six. That's the only reason, because 46 doesn't, but 3d6 does, so, you know, you give it here. Here, you, if you roll the 12, you get an extra d6. I'm just curious. I, you know, we're not trying to parse or min-max rules. I'm no, just no, curious. No, no, just, you know, so, something for everyone listening to think about. Yeah, maybe in comments you can let me know. Uh, is there a rule out there? Does anybody actually care? <laughs> so, hit point standard, 1d6 per level. Okay, STC 30, like Eden Doug said in the last one. Yeah, that's that's about right. Um, it's kind of funny that they're selfish or evil considering all the stuff that they do to, uh, or am I reading? Oh no, I'm reading the wrong one. Sorry. These are, yeah, these are the ones that have the space stations to repair the mining. They're involved in everything. Fingers and all the pies. Yeah. Average does, uh, does not have super abilities. However, player characters and NPC villains can be created from any of the superpower categories in Heroes Unlimited. So, so the general, it's kind of like humanity. General human does, the average human does not have super abilities. Sure. The, super, the ones with super abilities, well, do. So, no special armor or weapons. They have sent at least one study expedition to Earth and have some familiarity with the planet. Okay. All right. So, uh, all right. And this is just another bird race that looks weird. <laughs> so, I missed one. I missed the Nyamese Coalition, which is the, the Neteri. So, 64. So, here are your Siamese cats. I'll be mad if they're actually cats. Okay, the Nateri. Okay, what what is this in the Nateri? Oh, these are lizard people. They're they're lizard people. Oh, they are not. Shut up. See the lizard section. Does that not look like a lizard person? Not it. That's not it. That's a Gorn. Shut up. Go down. <laughs> Go down. Maybe they're That's not people? it. That's not it. That one's it. Yeah, still in the lizard section. Yeah, but damn, he's he's scarier looking. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I was just looking to see what what they were generally. So oh. okay, IQ, normal, mental endurance. Well, there you go. Uh, don't try to use psionics on oh, a mental wow. affinity. Keep going. Strength plus six underwater, so they're even stronger underwater. Physical pro. Okay, do they get any negative? Oh, physical beauty. Yeah. Oh, physical they're beauty ugly lizards. Sick. Whatever. Shut up. <laughs> and swimming speed is speed times ten. Now it does make sense for them. I get that, yeah. but uh, so two d six times ten. Oh, plus six per level of experience. Natural AR fifteen. Horror factor fourteen. That's not that's not bad for something that's freebie. That is not yeah, bad. Right, exactly. That's the point. Yeah, freebie. So PPE 2D6. Okay. Yeah, that's that's a little higher than the adult human average. So all and how, how are they pronounced? Whatever. I'm calling them Neteri for now. All all Neteri warriors can make selections from the superpower categories of bionics, hardware, or physical training. Magic okay. is unknown to these people, but it could be learned from others. Okay, so if you got an exploring one, be like, that seems neat. You can make oogaloogas. In addition, all warriors get the following from their years of special martial arts training. Plus two in initiative. Plus two weapon proficiency skills. The equivalent of a healing factor. This is just your common, everyday garden variety warrior. Sure, yeah. And any one extraordinary power listed under minor super abilities. Optional, the warrior can select the following abilities from ninjas and super spies. Okay, we're not going to oh, read all gonna that. It's going to get weird now. Yeah. So <laughs> natural abilities evolve from predators. Swim 10 times faster. I already got that. Running speed, swim at 95%. Gills can breathe no, uh, normal. Okay. Can normally breathe air for 20, 20 minutes. minutes. That's actually pretty good. So he can live outside the water for a while. Excellent vision and hearing. Kill you. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Uh, excellent vision and hearing. Su uh, superior sense of smell. Can smell blood underwater. He's a shark. Mm hmm. Dry land in the air, they can track blood scent, 65% proficiency, recognize the scent of a specific race, oh my god, or of a specific person. Yeah, the character's bite does 3d6 damage, plus 1d6 if 8 feet or taller. Okay, uh, the bony fins and the arms and head can be used to parry melee weapons, so this character does break the rule of not able to parry melee weapons with your arms. I can parry with my hair. <laughs> right? Underwater characters are plus two on initiative. Another plus two. And strike. That's uh, special weapons. We're not going to read all this, but you can see that they get some stuff. Yeah. It, it, okay, you know what? I see why people don't mess with them too much. All right, what's the next one? Uh, the next empire is the... Uh, oh, the Thesera Mycenaean. And the, which one's first? My scenes are 137. So the Mycenaeans. That's gross. Oh, that, that, I don't think that was, I think. Oh, that was the other one. Okay. Uh, this is, he's a, he's a Tholian. He's oh. a Tholian. Oh, he's a, a Tholian. Yeah, he's a Tholian. <laughs> okay. All right, Tholian. Cool. Unless All that's right. armor. Uh, fair. Planet Mycenae is a large dark, large, dark globe covered in thick perpetual cloud cover. It's a twilight home of the Mycenaeans. They have multifaceted chiseled stone. Nope, that's him. Appearance nope, that's with stone. gray or brushed silver color. Their eye is one oblong. Oh, it's a Cylon. Oh, <laughs> is fucking Cylon, dude. That's cool. <laughs> eye is one oblong plate of polished black stone. Sharp edges belie their warm, gregarious, and outgoing personalities. Oh, they're nice people. All right. Yeah, but they're they they look like a villain. <laughs> it's a nice rock man. You'd want to take him drinking if he could drink. Yeah. All right. So IQ three D six, ME three D six. Hey, wrong way. Wrong way. MA forty six. Physical strength six D six. That's 
pretty good. Yeah. All the yeah, rest human are better than a human in every way. Yep. Hit points, physical endurance times three plus 2d6 per level experience. So where's well, yeah, this? They're rock people. I get this one. Okay, physical endurance is normal, so it's standard. Yes. So what do we what do we always we always use fifteen when it's three d six just to do right. Mm -hmm. So fifteen times three is forty five plus two d six per level experience. That's a lot of hit points. It is. Natural armor rating sixteen. Yep, that's pretty high. SDC. This is this is basically a little bit watered down version of uh, alter physical structure stone. Yes, but it that's how they live. But this is natural character. So we'll see what kind yeah. of powers I can get in a minute. Uh, oh, horror cool. off factor of 12. That's great. Oh, they're yeah. about eight feet tall. So they already hit the, uh, the eight foot range. Super abilities uh, are either from... Oh, Mycene abilities are either from psionic or super powered. Okay. It's like two minor abilities and one major. Oh, so wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I could get a stone, man. Get alter physical structure stone on top of that. I would rule that out personally. I'd rule that out. I get what you're okay. saying, but I would rule that out. Be like, I no, it. you're not going to have the same thing twice. But yeah, what about alter physical structure steel? Fuck off. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, standard powers and features plus the equivalent minor super abilities of super. Oh, so never mind. Hold on, more superpowers to come: <laughs> supervision, ultra vision, infrared, and night vision. So they well, get they got that big black eye. <laughs> they're also ambidextrous oh plus one ah, attack for melee round oh, you, one plus one attack and plus one initiative i don't nobody cares about pull punch plus two to roll okay really plus two to well, roll they're rocks they're literally rolling stones come on no he's chiseled stone he's not oh, rolling yeah. anywhere but but i but it's probably just because he could take it yeah maybe he doesn't so. need to roll he's just what did you punch me? Uh, and plus four to save versus horror factor. All right. Limitation sensitive to bright light. Okay. So there's a weakness built in. That's pretty cool. All right. So daylight vision's only 300 feet. Well, there, there are no snipers here. Nope. <laughs> he's carrying a pistol. You know what? He can take a couple of hits while he's closing in on you. Exactly. He's going to close the distance. You're probably not going to drop him before he gets to touch your face in a bad way. Oh, look, let's look at the rifts thing real quickly here. Uh, they're mega damage creatures. 3d6 times 10 plus 240 mega damage. He's stronger than my Borg. <laughs> Screw this guy. <laughs> All right, what's next? Um, uh, we have 140. Oh, we, we, this is great with the new G.I. Joe theme. Look who we got. We got Snake Eyes. <laughs> well, that, okay, that's a different one, but we're going to go to 148. Oops, one. Ah, 48, there we go. If that's not the right one. Where is it? Search the T. Is it these lizard guys? There we go. Thrusters, uh, Thesaurus, how the hell? Uh, Thesaurus, okay. Thesaurus are tall reptilian race with wide flat heads. That's probably them. It's, uh, yeah. Lizard dude. Uh, dark eyes with prominent mouth. They tend to be thin and are covered in fine scales. Right. So let's see what, uh, okay, there we go. Now we're zoomed in. Uh, IQMEMA, all this is human normal. Okay, a little, little stronger. I mean, not crazy well, strong. No, no, a little, no, no. A, little, a little more dexterous. Oh, that's, I'm sorry, you're right. That's physical prowess, my bad. And a little tougher. A little but faster. again, like all lizards, they're ugly as shit. <laughs> <laughs> See, SDC, 2D4 times 10 plus 40. So, you know, not, not crazy rock people. Yeah. But, no, you know, no, they're no rock people, but they have those super fine scales. Not enough to give them armor you know, an armor rating, but enough to increase their SDC. I get it. And enough to make the average person pretty scared of them. <laughs> or a factor of 10. 
Super abilities. Following a chameleon healing factor and supervision. Night vision. A rare few can select two additional minor powers in one major, while others or, only 10%. Or, or. Huh? So two minor or one major, okay. While others have uh, psionic powers instead. Uh, or no powers. Oh. That's Create hardware characters. Chameleon normal. healing factor and supervision. I think they're doing okay. Yeah, right. Natural abilities can leap 12 feet. Uh, instinctive climbers, swimmers, and acrobats. Plus two to initiative, plus two to pull punch, plus three to roll the impact. That's no joke. They also have keen vision hearing tw uh, 20 decibels beyond human range. Poor day vision. Okay. So both the rock person and the lizard person within this. No wonder this, they got together. They, they all hate the beach. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> uh, must wear some sort of eye shade. So, well, you know what? They do a lot of their, uh, their investigation at night. Because remember, this is the, the police force. Yeah, yeah, and plus they're they're they have a twilight planet, so whatever. Well, the so, the Mycenaeans did anyway. And apparently they've done a bunch of operations around Earth. All right, well the last one we have before what the one everybody else wanted is uh nope that nope the one that everybody wanted was on page one seventy they said they wanted the predator. There we go. The Reath Reath. Oh, there it is. There he is. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's a predator like Predator meets Batman. It's <laughs> Batman. It's kind of got a Quintesson face there. A little bit. Uh, very, <laughs> very little is known about these other dimensional beings. Thousands of them poured. Okay, nope. This is a rifts thing. Screw off. This doesn't exist. No. <laughs> uh, thousands of poured in from the rifts that destroyed Asin. I don't know what that is. And now they wander the galaxy as ruthless and murderous assassins, terrorists, pirates, crime lords, enforcers, bounty hunters, and mercenaries, killing and destroying. Is what they do best. All right. Well, let's see how well they do that. Okay, we're, we're, there we go. Pronounce Ryathanors. Okay, Ryathanors. I like this pronunciation guide, by the way. That's They're how all you do evil it. Evil or anarchist. Oh, good. Makes sense. Anarchists are the good guys, right? So physical strength, just 35, just a number. Just straight up, everyone, everyone in the race has 35. That's great. And okay. PP 24, PE 30, PB 7. I don't think they care physical uh, speed of 58 all all uh wraith have identical physical attributes due to the augmentation by the armor okay physical attributes are considered to be supernatural a 35 supernatural you suck <laughs> uh seven feet 300 pounds okay hit points p times three which is what where's the pe 30 times three 90 90 hit points Plus 2d6 per level. Natural mm -hmm. arm rating of 15. They're almost as good as the rock people. Yeah. SDC. It's because of their super armor. I mean, if you could kill one and take the super armor and get it to work for a human, oh my god. Hey, it's MDC armor and rifts, you think? Yeah. It, uh, <laughs> apparently, it's some kind of either magical or living armor. Because you know, normal armor doesn't just change up to MDC when you go into a high magic environment. I'm going to check something out here in my book real quick. Okay, we're in a section I didn't want to cover. That's why. Okay. We're looking at the bad guys. We're not supposed to be showing bad guys because they're supposed to be a surprise to you folks. Oh. This isn't, well, this isn't something you, know. you can play or be. No, no, you're not allowed to play this thing. You're allowed to kill him and skin him of his armor and, mm. and t take it to the Elon Musk guy and get paid. But other than that, no. So, yeah, we, we don't normally cover the NPCs and so forth intentionally because we don't want to, you know, spoil the secrets of. But now, you know, yeah. now, you know, the the uh, the aliens unlimited version of the Predator is no joke. 
It's no joke. That is right. Yeah, he's not going to be beaten by Arnold Schwarzenegger covered in mud. It's not going to happen. So again, I already showed this off. I think I don't know if I did in this video, so we'll do it again. Here are all the different aliens you will find in this book. It starts on page fifty-one and goes to page. Um, there we go, one fifty-seven. It's over a hundred pages of just aliens. It's crazy. You will find aliens of all. Why insect, humanoid, why, mineral? Why, uh, why did they even waste their time creating like create your custom alien when they made every possible permutation? Apparently. <laughs> Well, they didn't. That's the fun thing. This is this doesn't even come close to the, all the possible permutations. You'll have some similarities, but uh, so okay. Well, then since we showed that off, hopefully that gives you uh, an idea of the aliens in the in the game and or what you could create on your own just by uh, by getting this book. Next week is the Galaxy Guide, which is a supplement to this book, which should have been put in this book without all those aliens. Uh, <laughs> But uh, that's going to cover things like, oh, space combat and skills and a few other things that you're actually going to want to have to like to do your space epic. To be fair, to be 100 percent fair, I, I, I don't hate the books. I actually really like the books. This book is a great addition to an Earth based Heroes Unlimited game. It is. But if you want a space based game, you really need the Galaxy Guide. And we're going to go through that next week. So I'm going to play the, play the ad now, and then we can do questions. Okay. Welcome to Palladium Megaverse Fans on Gilded, the ultimate destination for all Palladium books enthusiasts. Journey through the thrilling landscapes of Rifts, create your own comic book stories in Heroes Unlimited, and experience every spellbinding adventure in between. Dive into deep discussions about rules, lore, and strategies with a community that shares your passion. Whether you're showcasing your latest artwork, fleshing out a new character design, or brainstorming homebrew ideas, our server is a treasure trove of creativity and inspiration. Enhance your gaming with our collection of tips, tricks, and invaluable resources. Click the link in the description and join Palladium Megaverse fans now. Embark on an adventure where imagination knows no bounds. All right, there we go. All right, what are questions, comments, concerns that people had out there? Okay, not a lot of stuff. It's just that uh, these guys sound like a job for the coalition states. That's the Predator guys. Oh. But also in the Predator guys, Chicken Bullion Cube said uh, they appear in the Heroes Unlimited GM's guide in the scenario with the crashed ship that dumps an alien zoo. So they, they actually appear in a printed adventure Ooh. for Heroes Unlimited. So that's As it. they should. Yeah. And the rest of it is uh, uh, basically everyone talking to each other, which I love. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, there we go. Well, that was Aliens Unlimited. Like I said, next week is going to be the Galaxy Guide, which is the companion book to this. Uh, I hope you guys like this. I really, if you are like, aliens are one of the few things I do play in Heroes Unlimited. And, you know, if a game master said, no, I can't have this book, I could get enough out of Heroes Unlimited. But if you really want to expand the possibilities, there you go. And since it is a superhero game, if some of those look overpowered to you, they're not. It's a they're superhero not. game. You're going to be with other superheroes. So. All right, well, yeah, like, subscribe, share. I don't have the like, subscribe. Oh, yes, I do. There it is. It's lost in the mix of all the other images we have. <laughs> all right, well, it is 5 o'clock here. That's a four-hour live stream. And luckily, uh, our last live stream is well over a month ago, and we're not going to go through those comments, so we don't have to worry about that today. So we're going uh, uh, to have to... I'm going to stroke your loins here. Okay.
absolutely why you guys won our favorites award. Oh, two years in a row. Yes, we're winning awards everywhere yeah. except for except for the ones that join and then say I don't want to be I don't want to deal with these guys anymore. <laughs> I will accept the monetary equivalent to a trophy. <laughs> there you go. A good trophy. Since good trophy, not this participation soccer nonsense. <laughs> you can get that at literally any pawn shop. Appreciate that, Shadow, Shadow and Sun. <laughs> so, all right. Well, I, I guess with that, with no segment three, I mean, I'll show these off again because I can. Look at that. Look at that. There's Heaton. He's going to get a shirt that says that at some point. I know I really it. Am. <laughs> I, I have to get them uploaded. I don't have those uploaded. I only have the Legion Myth one uploaded right now. I, oh, I got those other ones uploaded. But, uh, all right. Well, uh, thank you, everybody, for watching. I'll get Heathen Dog his uh, moment here for words of wisdom. I'll get there we go. That's up. And then we'll have the outro. No new outro. It's the same outro. Oh, no, it is new. It is new. It's all it, new. Is, it is new. But, uh, no, thanks for watching. And I uh, hope you like this. If you have, again, any comments, you guys are watching the live stream, okay? You're not going to see what, what I'm saying right now in the video. So if you have any questions, comments, concerns about our newish format, uh, books that we're covering, any ideas that you want us to look into, whatever, you know, there's going to be a lot of palladium this year. That's just kind of our thing now. So <laughs> it's going to keep happening. But uh, uh, post them in the comments uh, to the videos or on our Discord. Yep. And before you jump in there and kill me for, for how long my segment three was and how short my segment two could have been, this is my first day, man. Come on. Yeah. Come on. I'm, I'm, I'm basically tr I'm t uh, OJT in this shit. All right. Come on. That is true. <laughs> so I'm going to work next week to, uh, better gauge the length of, uh, of my segments, but I am happy that all the information got out there. Most <laughs> of it was, was essential and yep. it was entertaining, especially the Lovecraftian, uh, backstory. That was sad you know that that seems to some people that might be lengthy but the truth of the matter is it really led into why the game does a lot of what it does yeah so. exactly so hey you know what if it was a happy accent that's great but if it's not then say hey heathen dog that's a little long you may want to trim this bitch down a little some you know or or better yet if you're watching a live stream and say i don't need to watch the actual video you can when when you see something like it's an hour and 10 minutes oh heathen dog fucked up go ahead and go ahead and hit play hit pause and then comment like subscribe and then leave or let you it run that. in the background when you leave let, let it run you for the that. entire yeah. hour and 10 minutes well uh, you know whatever you know mowing just the grass to, just to just to make your point and show me up that'd be awesome but uh, seriously though uh this these first couple weeks or we're going to be finding our feet you know max has to write bigger so he can read his own notes i have to i have to pre-read some stuff because i ramble so we're we're gonna we're gonna dial this in so don't worry about it and save your judgments for uh february ish and then and then throw us under the bus but until then everyone have a great rest of your day and we hope to see you next week later